Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Take me to the volcano! It's really called this. You have to ask for the vinegar with the mother in it. Oh, come on. Quick I need, no. Seriously. Maybe Bed Bath & Beyond, I don't know. I don't know if we'll have enough time. But uh, everything's perfectly all right now. We're fine. We're all fine here now. Thank you. How are you? Episode number 133, coming to you live from Bayside, New York. Comac, New York, maybe. We don't know. That depends on the outcome of the Islander game right now. And Freehold, New Jersey. It's the Ready to Unload podcast slash radio show. We talk New York sports nice. No big deal. Welcome to the show, sponsored by Blue Haven. Let's do this at the top. Let's do this at the top of this episode, please. Tonight's episode of Ready to Unload with Cal and Sam Pete is sponsored by Blue Haven NYC in Greenwich Village, New York City's sports bar for grown-ups. Go to www.bluehavennyc.com for details. All right, so uh, we are sponsored by Blue Haven, and we were live there last week, last Wednesday. It was a great time. Huge thanks to Blue Haven. We had an awesome time at the live remote. Our next one will be Thursday, April the 25th, the first round of the NFL Draft. Everybody, we're doing a live show. First round of the NFL draft. It's going to be awesome. We have, Cal, you don't even know this. You don't even know this. I'm going to tell you this, and then I'm going to bring you into the show. We have Steve Bateman from London. He's going to be joining us. He writes now for the Jet Set. He wrote for uh, Turn on the Jets. He breaks down film. Steve Bateman is going to join us for the live show. Live from London, from England. Six hours ahead. He's joining us. So that's going to be awesome. Again, Thursday, April 25th. If you're in New York City, please come down uh, for the live draft show at Blue Haven. Go to www.bluehavennyc.com for details. Okay, fine. Now, we have a ton to do tonight. Episode number 133. We have Patrick Flood joining us, our old friend, in his third stint. This is like, he's like Alec Baldwin. He's like the Alec Baldwin of RTU. Um, yeah, we're going to have Steve Martin come out and like do a little opening bit in the cold open. Uh, it's great. Patrick Flood writes for, uh, amazing Avenue, amazing Avenue. Now he's a great, uh, Mets blogger. We were going to talk about the 2013 baseball season and the Mets and all this great stuff. And then, uh, you know, then Johan Santana happened. So we'll have to talk about that, but he's going to join us in a couple of minutes. Uh, but and then we're going to talk hockey, we're going to talk uh, basketball, we're going to talk all kinds. Of, but now, at, at this time, we're back on the Thursday night. It's 9.30 p.m. It's time for Ready to Unload with Cal and Sam Pete. Here's Cal, for goodness sake. Hi, Cal. 
Hi, Steve. Holy cow. Yeah, how about that? Direct from an engagement at Funny Stones. Funny Stones. In uh, Topeka. Topeka, Kansas. That's a great room, Cal. They're tough, though. They're surprisingly tough. Yeah? Yeah. Well, you can't do the religious stuff there. You got to work blue. That's the only thing they'll appreciate. You 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 have to work blue. No, you have to. Oh, that's weird. I didn't think it would be that way. No, it's that you wouldn't think that, but that's what you have to do. You actually are supposed to work blue. Right. Then. The promoter will tell you. Every <laughs> every other word's got to be a curse. Doesn't it feel nice to be back on Thursday night, by the way? Like, at home, I'm in my office, you're in the, your living room? I mean, yeah. You're I'm in the living room watching I'm, the Islander game. I'm just keeping tabs on the game, yes. So, uh, spoiler alert, they tied it, the Flyers. They did with about 30 seconds left. Right, they got a penalty. Islanders got a penalty called against them. Right, and it's three three now. Have they made it to overtime? It's three three going to overtime, and the Islanders are on a power play. Okay, so they could still get the two points. You don't mind losing the one point to the Flyers? No, they got one point. The Rangers are losing. That's the team that they're chasing. So also they good stand. News. They stand to pick up ground on them. Okay, so also good news. So there's your. That's your up to the minute uh, sports alert. <laughs> Nine seven six one three one three. I you remember sports phone? Of course. Oh my goodness. Oh, I love that sports phone. I was never allowed to call because it cost money. It was like a million dollars. It was like, like what was it? Like ninety nine cents for the first minute. Eight dollars and ninety nine cents each additional like, minute. Like wait for the paper tomorrow. You don't need. You don't need to know the score right now. Sports phone. Can you, you imagine? You remember the great thing about sports phone too was the guy's voice. Yes. Like the guy doing the scores like they got some. What you would completely prototypically envision as the sports announcer guy. Right. He was like, and in the NBA, the Knicks. And it was like a pause because he had just recorded it. 102. It was like a cross between movie phone and like the most enthusiastic local sportscaster you've ever met. Yeah. It was very exciting. It was. In the NBA. You called Sportphone. But that was part of that was part of the deal was that he would talk with these these pregnant pauses to make you stay on the line longer. That's right. That's right. And pay more. <laughs> That's how it worked. Right. What a racket. Right. And in the NBA, the Knicks. Seventy nine. Yes. <laughs> yes, go on. <laughs> it would have been great if they had him fumbling around like Francesa, like looking for the score just to take up more time. Be like in the NBA, the Knicks. Let's see here. I got it here somewhere. Oh, uh, do 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 uh, the Knicks. The Knicks. The Knicks. The Knicks. They played. Who they play uh, last night? Who they play last night? Who they uh, play last? Night? Who they the play last night? Knickerbockers. The Knickerbockers uh, in New York. New York Knicks. Let's see. Boop 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 beep beep beep. Okay, I got it right here. One o two. One o two. And then <laughs> it was what was it? Denver. Was it Denver? Played another team. Denver? And meanwhile, you're in, for, you're in for $37 to get the Knicks score. I think it was Denver. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was Denver. Oh, no, it was Sacramento. Oh, no, I was, I was told it was Denver, but it was Sacramento. No, I, I was told it was Denver. Denver. Uh, we'll have plenty of time to make fun of my Anyway, yeah. so what's going on with you? I How love oh, I love sports. Um, my week was, was good. I was sick. You were sick. It, it was a bad March, a weird yeah. March. Let's get March over with. 
I will not be ha- happy. I will be happy to see this month go. I will not be sad to see this month. Which one is it? That's what it is. Go away, March. I will not be anything for March. <laughs> Allow myself to introduce myself. myself. Can you do a little Motley Crue there? March, don't go away, Matt. <laughs> just go away. March, just go away. Just go away. Speaking of uh, bands, I have a great uh, thing to talk about in the fun load later with PJ. Okay. He's going to love it. It came up between uh, uh, Scratch Bomb, Matt Callen. Yes. Uh, I saw. saw. Yeah. We got to talk about that later. That's real. That's all real? Yeah. What was going on with that conversation? I I had seen the other one like two weeks ago. I sent it to you guys in the chat room. Oh. Fun load. Okay. Um, it, you know what? My week was uh, crazy. I was sick. I'm feeling better. Yes. Uh, I had to kick that cold. It was brutal. Um, but, uh, I'm doing a fantasy draft right now. As L- we speak. Literally as we speak. As we speak. Wow. With our old buddy, Dr. E. Ray Stat. Yeah. Oh, I remember him. I, I love his work. He's listening right now. Hey, Dr. E. Ray. We love you. You got to come on, come on and talk Nick's. Nick, well, you know, we've been avoiding them all season. <laughs> Dr. Erase Test is unavailable. Oh, well, then we he still can. have the card. Oh, well. We still have, PJ still has the Dr. Erase card. Would have been nice to have him. I love it. No, he, he and I are doing a draft. How's it going? My work league. It's going very, I think it's going very well. Yeah. I, uh, my mom is in town, Cal. Ah, she's arrived. Mom is up from Florida for the first time in over a year. Nice. You know, Wesley's like spelling his name, doing you know, right. our, doing our taxes. Like the last time she saw him, he was you know, flinging... hey, check check out what I could do now. Right, he was like flinging his poo around, <laughs> and now this time he's like, so Ange, how are you? Good to see you. Looking good, babe. He's playing canasta with her. <laughs> All right, mom, we taught him bridge. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, he's, he's very good. You better watch out. He's very good with the Marjan tiles. Very good. <laughs> Uh, so I was uh, I had brought him out to uh, Long Island to see my mom for a couple of minutes, and I rushed home, ran him in the door, handed him off to Teresa so I could start this fantasy draft. Oh, tonight, yeah. Terrible, oh, terrible job by me. Bad parenting. Oh, that dad of the year. Oh, just took a huge hit today even, in the polls. Even if it's on the mug? <laughs> even if it's on the mug. Doesn't matter? Doesn't matter. Tomorrow, like the AP dad of the year polls, I am going easily oh, no. from like, Five to like twenty two. <laughs> this was like losing to like Valparaiso. This was a bad loss tonight. At home. That's <laughs> no, not good. Bad job. I handed him off. He was exhausted. He was crying. Hadn't eaten properly. Terrible. <laughs> Terrible. But hey, there was a draft. There was a draft. We had the uh, the dreaded rap pick, Cal. No, that's no. Well, that's from winning last year, right? Twelve thirteen. No, at random. Oh, at that's, random. That's worse. You know what the name of the team is this year? We usually, Evan and I do uh, either something from Arrested Development or something from Mad Men. Okay. Right? Mad Men, by the way, premiering in, what, two weeks? April 6th, I think. Ecstatic. Can't even take it. Was it season six? Season six, yes. Wow. Yeah, it's getting serious. Um, but we decided to go away from TV and away from all that. So the team name this year is uh, Sweet the Bojainer. <laughs> that's, that's what we went with. We went with the French. How, how would you spell that? S W E A T A H. Okay. B O J I N E A R. Sweet the Bojaneur. 
for those of you who have listened to the show, you know that I have been doing my French guy for a long time. Actually, oh, that that's was sweat. Sweat the bojaneiro. Your sweat, your bojaneiro is so sweat. Hey, who's that? Who is that? Wait, wait. Who's that? We're keeping this music. We're keeping this music forever. For him? Yeah. You and I. This is our intro music for Stacey uh, Gatsoulian. We gotta leave that at the end. We gotta okay. leave it at the end. Silver we'll spoons together. We don't have to teach Joel Gray anything for using that song, do we? Who, Joel Gray? Yeah, not Joel Gray. <laughs> the, the Broadway actor? No. Why are we giving him anything? Who was the Who was the Who was Edward Stratton? Ed, uh, it was Aaron Gray. Aaron Gray was the was and the Joel Stratton. Uh, Joel Stratton. Joel <laughs> Stratton. <laughs> you, just, you just put them together. What was an idiot? That's either? funny because I almost called him uh, when when you had uh, Susie What's Her Pants on uh, for the Yankees. <laughs> well, that's great. Good luck getting another female <laughs> guest on the show. By the way, good job. I almost called him Joel Gray then. What was his name? It was Joel something? <laughs> Susie What's Her Pants. Great. Good job. It was Joel. I'm no something. good with the Greek names. I can't do them. That was Stacey Gatsoulias, and she writes for It's About the Money Stupid dot com or dot net, and she's a great Yankee blogger. And she's and is very sorry. <laughs> I have to send her a cake now. Yeah, well, to send something that's gender neutral. <laughs> Don't send it like a cat. An apology. I said, "What's your pants?" I didn't say. What's her skirt? There you go. All right. Hi, Peach. Hey. Holy mackerel. Cal, uh, uh, just to finish up, so I, I've been out of loop. I missed the whole Santana thing. You texted that to me. But we're going to have uh, Patrick Flood on from Amazing Avenue. Uh, we were going to talk Mets, baseball season. He just got back from the Middle East. No, 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 boy, I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> That's not even like a, you know. No. Just said he was in the Arab Emirates. Literally, yes. Uh, so I wanted to talk to him about that, uh, but we're obviously going to talk about Johan Santana having a tear, it seems, in the uh, capital. A re-tear. Re right. And probably, probably ending his career. But uh, before we get to that fun stuff, as if it was so, you know, people were so enthusiastically looking forward to this Met season uh, with so much joy. Mm. Um, Very we, optimistic. Right. We have that. Um. But PJ, while all of March was going on, like you think you had a bad March. Well, you did have a bad March. You had your gallbladder out. It wasn't great. You were in the hospital. Uh, your wife was sick. Your daughter was sick. Not good times at the Calvi house. No, no. But but I, you put it in perspective. What happened with PJ? There was not six inches of crap water on your basement floor. Peach, go on. <laughs> This is becoming a habit now yeah. with the water on the floor. No, that's no. We just got to tease that. We got to come back to that later because our guest is here. Oh, is he here? He's here. I have his theme music ready to go too. Well, we will tease that because PJ had another flood at his house in Freehold. I can't wait till you try to resell this house. I can't wait. Speaking <laughs> of floods, speaking oh. of floods. Oh my! I'm gonna go get him. Oh. Go, go, get him. 
Uh, Callie had another flood. Yeah, I know. This was a sewer breakage. Why not? So it was... Hadn't had, had one of those. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, PJ, uh, not with Hurricane Sandy, thankfully. Ironically, but, with, right. with, with the biggest storm ever. Right. The hurricane before that... Irene. Hurricane Irene, that's right. He had what they what the town of Freehold described as a once every four hundred years flood. Once yeah, like a once in a generation. Once in a generation flood that was literally the entire first floor of his house. And we you know, FEMA and the whole thing. Rebuilding the house. They were the only people to get flooded like that. It was bad. It was really bad. And uh so if that wasn't good enough, he'll tell us later about the sewer breaking. And going back down in that, it's a split-level ranch, Cal, you know, four up, four down. Yes. And uh, going back down the four steps to uh, crap. You think you had a bad march tonight at 11. (laughs) Are your sewers killing you (laughs) tonight at 11? Has your property value been diminished? PJ has an expose. (laughs) What really happened to that house you're buying? I can't wait till he resells this house. I can't wait. Uh, will he be able to? Right, right. Wait, let me get this straight. Two floods you had. That's that's. And speaking of, I see what you did there. That was nice. This is the kind of flood that you want. This is the good flood. And Cal, just an update. Uh, we just took. Homer Bailey and Addison Reed. Of course you took Homer Bailey. <laughs> of course. Dr. E. Ray Stad and I have Homer Bailey back on our oh, team. Oh, my goodness. Because that's the greatest old-timey baseball name of all time. Yes. Homer Bailey. Let me tell you a story about Homer Bailey. He was some pitcher. He used to go out with the ladies afterward, too, and shoot the moon. Yes. Homer Bailey, once again, is drafted on a fantasy team of mine strictly because of his name. I mean, he's too, but... I guess. That's a bonus. Let's bring in the uh, the guest tonight okay. for his third appearance on RTU, by the way. Third appearance. Is that a record? That is the record right now. He's the, he, I told you, he's the Alec Baldwin. He's the, uh, the John Hamm. He's the Justin Timberlake. The John Goodman. He's a John Good. He's a John Goodman, if you will, for RTU. Uh, since we last talked to him, he's done a podcast. He's uh, switched blogs. Uh, he's he's been all over the place. This guy went to the Middle East. His theme music is awfully ominous, isn't it? Here he is. Bring him in. Mr. Patrick Flood. Patrick Flood, how are you? I'm doing well. I, I was under the impression that this was my fourth time on. Is this your fourth time? We might have lost I track. I think it's my fourth time. I think three sounds too low to me. I, and I think five might sound like too much. I'm not five. sure, but I, I, I do think it's four. <laughs> I, well, let's go with four, then. Let's go with four, then. We have and to I'm going for the record I want. You know, like, I want it. So You're crushing the record, though. Four would be. I mean, I think only the only other repeat is Ted, probably. Yes, Ted's been on twice. twice. We had ten. Right, well, like if you get him, if you get him a third time, like I still want the record. You know, I, oh, clean. absolutely. Okay. I tell you, Bird's not, not going to show again. He's too big for us. 
And if we ever got Ted again, we'd have to have Patrick on the same night. <laughs> like immediately after him. You would have to come out and do the monologue with him. Like at that <laughs> point. Yeah, yeah, that'd be okay. <laughs> right. We'd have to we'd have to have you come out and do the cold open. What's up, man? How are you? I'm well. I'm doing well. How about you guys? Uh, we're doing great. Cal uh, is uh, having what looks like a seizure right now because no, the, Islanders, the Islanders just won in overtime. No, I'm fine. So, uh, so we're, you know, us being big Islander fans, boy, we sure can't pick them, Patrick, can't we? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Jets, Mets, Islanders, all good times. Um, but uh, the Islanders just won in overtime. Spoiler alert, too late. Um I guess there's, you know, we were going to talk to you about the 2013 Mets season and stuff uh, and, you know, do a little preview action. I mean, we, we can still do that, though. Good. But I guess I guess there's some pressing news that I was not able to see. Cal was able to see Sandy Alderson's or listen to Sandy Alderson's press conference. Um, what, what can you tell us, Patrick, about Johan Santana's capsule? It's. It's sad news, is I think what I can tell you. I mean, I don't know anything more than uh, what what's been said, but it sounds like that sounds like it's it for Johan Santana with the Mets, and maybe it's it for Johan Santana, which is very sad. I go ahead, Cal. No, I was I was I was gonna there was you know when Sandy Alderson talked earlier. I got a really I don't know if you got this. Did you did you hear him speak, Patrick? I did not. No, I just I, I uh read about it afterwards. Okay, cuz I was listening I actually listened to the conference call and I got a really weird vibe from Sandy. It was kind of like the tone of his message was was part disappointed and part angry that that like this has happened and that Santana has come to this. So I'm wondering, he pitched the no-hitter last year. Yeah. Only, I'm going to do it, only the Mets. Only the Mets could have their first no-hitter, and the guy that pitches the no-hitter now is is shrouded in controversy. Yeah, I mean, if you you want to look at it that way. um, It it feels like that. It feels, I mean, I, I think you can definitely make that case because, you know, he was pitching well, he threw the no-hitter. Um, I think he struggled to start after. He did have two, I think he struggled to start like after his no-hitter or wasn't as sharp. And the then second, he the did second have, He did have two more good starts after that yeah. before he really fell apart. Right. Um, so it wasn't like he threw the no-hitter through the whatever, like 134 pitches and then, and then he just collapsed and his career was over. It was kind of like <laughs> then a month later he collapsed and his career was over. So right. it wasn't exactly like a one-to-one thing. It It, it wasn't, and... This is not how I wanted to start our 2013 Mets conversation. No, um, it, it, I mean it, it seemed unlikely he was going to make more than like 15 starts anyway, especially right. once they got to spring training and he didn't even pitch in a game. Um, it, you know, you sort of knocked that mental number down to like 10, so it's not, you know, unexpected. It's not like they were counting on him a lot. It sort of seemed like he was always going to be, you know, like the gravy or the the extra thing to contribute to the Mets team if the team, you know, the, the season goes well. So it's it's not like it's a big loss in terms of that thing, but it's also just like a real downer just suppose he's going to start. Sure. It's a, it's a, it, well, there's a couple things here for me. It's a demoralizing situation because of the angst 
that was uh, sort of prevalent apparently throughout spring training between Santana and the team. And now, you know, Cal, you brought up the no-hitter to start, which is a great place to start because he, you know, we said it at the time. Did he leave it all out there? Who cares? But coming – or do you care? You do care. But coming into spring training, there was all this – there was this rift between the Mets and Johan Santana about him resting in the off season, and they weren't speaking. And then he had that day where he went and threw a bullpen almost to shut the media up and shut the Mets up. And now you scratch your head and you say, did he hurt his arm that day? I mean, did he do this that day because he was trying to prove a point? And, that, and those were the questions that were asked of Sandy Alderson. They and had he, to be. And, I, and, he, he, would, and he wouldn't answer them. Yeah. Well, he and, can't. But, but that's what I'm, when I'm talking about his tone. He kept saying, you'll have to talk to Johan. You'll have to talk. That's, that's something that Johan could answer. Right. I mean, that's where the bad taste begins here. I mean, you feel badly about a guy who's been uh, a fantastic pitcher, uh, has one of the historic moments in Met history, um, but has never lived up to the contract, unfortunately, because of injuries. And you have what is potentially the end of his career. But there, you know, there was just all this bad blood between him and the team uh, during spring training, or at least we were led to believe it was really bad. And so now you wonder, well, did he do it that day? And if he did it that day, man, come on. I'm not an only the Mets guy, but come on. I uh, sugar. That's not where I wanted to start. This is not this is my vacation. It's um, not the uh, like <laughs> let's throw up an ideal Mets season way to begin. Kind of like have the guy you think is going to start an opening day kind of like disappear for all of spring training and then four days before the season be like, oh, he's probably not going to disappear at all. Right. Or maybe ever again. Yeah. And he won't even be there on opening day now. Like right. he, he'll, be, he would, he'll, he'll disappear into like wherever it is the pitchers go when they're, they're rehabbing. Right. Like there's, like there's maybe two or three guys that would get a huge ovation on opening day, and he was one of them. And now, <laughs> and now he won't even be there. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Even if he was hard on the DL or anything, yeah. Right, he he would have at least trotted out there and stood on line with them. Now he's not yeah. even going to be there. Right. Well, that brings us that the, this is a good place to go into this 2013 season because, um, and one of the things I wanted to talk to uh, to you about later, Patrick and uh, uh, and Cal, we can do this later because I ha- I've been mulling over this idea for about two or three days now. About uh, it's sort of a broader question about fanhood, about the modern fan. And about rooting for a team, and um, is there any purity left or available uh, in rooting for your team anymore? So I, I, I want to get to that later because I want to start with the the sort of um, uh, what's the word? <laughs> sort of like the, the actual season. The expectations are extraordinarily low for this team coming in. Everything is 2014, 2014, etc. But Based on the moves that they made, we're four days away from the season, Patrick. Did yeah. you think that uh, what they have done, um, especially in the outfield, was going to be passable? Well, if you, if you throw on like the – if you condition it with especially in the outfield, <laughs> you know, that's not really fair. <laughs> like, right. My bad. I should never like, use know, the, the Mets outfield as a wound, call. How are you feeling? Um, it's <laughs> – I like, I like the outfield is not going to be the team's strength, obviously. Um, 
I don't think they did, they did that bad. Um, I mean, obviously they they lost you know uh, Dicky now, um, and that's that's probably the biggest difference between the team that took the field last year and the team that's going to take the field this year. Um, at the same time, it's like the outfield was terrible last year too. So it's, even though they don't have any you know necessarily better players, it seems unlikely that they'll be that bad again, if only because like you know. Maybe they'll be like the twentieth outfield in baseball instead of the thirtieth outfield. In baseball. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, that's, um, that's what my, my point was more, and it was a poorly worded question. I apologize. What I what I meant was to be more specific is now that we're through spring training and we've seen right. how these moves and these pickups have shaken out, uh, taking out of the equation the idea that you know hopefully David Wright will be there on opening day and Daniel Murphy who played today will be there on opening day, uh, hopefully. So you have an idea of what the lineup will look like. My question was more, how have you seen these moves shake out the Colin Cowgills and the, the Marlin Birds and, and the bullpen? How have you seen them shake out? It seems like the bullpen will be okay this year for the first time in a while. But I also thought that last year, and I think I thought <laughs> that the year before too. Yes. So we'll see. I mean, just playing the odds. At some point, they have to stumble into a decent bullpen. Um, right. Right. But like, I, I think Parnell is good. Um, I think Edgen pitched better than his numbers were last year. He gave up a lot of home runs. Um, and that sort of seemed a little bit fluky. Um, and I feel like they have enough decent other kind of like veteran guys, and I like Brandon Lyon and stuff like that, where I think the bullpen will actually be okay. Uh, so I like the bullpen moves. The rotation would look better if it weren't for the sudden, like, rash of injuries where the worst has gone now, obviously, but also Sean Markham seems a little bit iffy right. about when he'll actually pitch. Um and then sort of you take away Dickie, who's gone now, and you take away Santana, and then you take away Marco, and all of a sudden the rotation where everyone's like, oh, my gosh, they're so deep, is it, suddenly kind of like Jeremy Hefner is like the fourth starter, and it's, it's looking really iffy all of a sudden. Right. But you, uh, Patrick, you're on board, though, with keeping Zach Wheeler at AAA to start the season, right? Yes. Oh. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I think we are, too. It's just No, we are. I think all three of us, I I – uh, can say I think we're all in agreement. The eyes yeah, have it. He should start it'd there. It'd be really cool to see him, and it'd be you know fun. Well, we're gonna it's like watch in April Zach Wheeler start, but it's, it's like you know right. we can all wait three months so that we can watch him for another year when he's really good. You know, should everything work out, another year when he's really good, um, sometime in the future. And it and it sounds like they're more concerned about the extra year rather than the arbitration money. So we may see him in May. Right, I mean, we could I see him on whatever him. happened with, like, Davis. Like, Davis was just, like, in 2010, Davis was, like, down for, like, the first, it ended up being, like, two weeks. Two yeah, I think, weeks it's like, I think they have to stay down there for, like, 20 days. 20 days. Not 20 games. Just 20 days. Right, 20 days. 20 calendar the days. Time for that right. ends up not being a full year. Right. Um, right, and then the other worry is, like, that like, arbitration, which is, which is what happened with, like, Davis, so he made like $3 million more than he would have otherwise, and we'll, we'll make more every other year of his contract, too. Right. Um, until he becomes a free agent, because the Mets pulled him up in April instead of, you know, like June or July or whatever. Right, but they but they they did get that extra year. So, you know, the ARB money is one thing. I mean, it's all... We, we had just started doing this show when... Well, that was our first baseball season. When Ike was down, and they started with Mike Jacobs and Fernando Tatis and... Yeah, yeah. That that debacle. Um, and we were screaming for Ike, screaming for Ike Davis. Little did we know that that team was going to be awful. But, we, you know, our, our point at that time was 
you know, give me a competitive team from opening day. Mike Davis gives you the best chance to be competitive from opening day. This is a different situation with Zach Wheeler to me. This is uh, exactly what you guys just said. This is he'll be there. Be cool to see him, you know, pitch the third game of the season, and we could certainly use him. Well, not we. I don't play actually, but they could certainly use them, use him. But let's at least wait the twenty days. <laughs> you know, that's the twenty days. Right. We can all wait at least three weeks so that he can like hang on for another year, at the very least. I would right. be surprised if it was just three weeks. I assume they're gonna let him pitch in Triple A for like half a year and then bring him up. Yeah, I I think that depends. I don't know if that's true. I think that depends. I really think that depends on how the big club is doing and if there's a need. I do believe Sandy Alderson when he says, look, he's got to pitch his way to the major leagues. Right. But if he if he if his first four starts are lights out and they're still and Markham's dinged up and they're still looking for a, they're piecing together things with Aaron Lappy, I think they'll bring him up, especially if the club is like 500. You know, if 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 through the first month they're you know thirteen and twelve or something like that, um, I I I think they'll be less gun shy to to bring him up. Um, the other thing that you you touched on briefly about the bullpen, and I I love the fact that this is probably your fourth appearance on the show. We've had you on for every baseball season, and it is a lot like Saturday Night Live, where like <laughs> you said it two, two years ago about the bullpen. Said it last year about the bullpen. Now you're saying it, it, it's like you know coming on and doing the sketch that everybody expects, right? Yeah, at you some know, point, we, though, the bullpen will be okay. And, and that's right. Sounds like, hard for saying that. I thought they'd be good. Right. You're like walking at this point. Like everybody sort of expects you to come on and do, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? The, the Continental. You know, we, right. we have yeah, to it's, we have it's, to see that. <laughs> um, but one of these years, he's going to be right. That's right. And you know what? That sketch always kills. That sketch kills it. It's fantastic. You 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 commit to it, and that sketch kills. But the biggest difference in the bullpen is Bobby Parnell, obviously. I mean, they're they're starting the season with Bobby Parnell in in the closer role. It's his to lose. I think, regardless of Frank Francisco's health, right? I think if Bobby Parnell takes the job finally and runs with it, and I've said for a long time, I don't think, I still don't. Ah, Cal, we've talked about this, right? I'm not sure. I mean, he hasn't really done that great in his in his previous tries, but I don't know. There's maybe there's a little bit of a different attitude this year. Maybe I he's got a so. different mindset. He's I grown hope. up a little bit. Right. He certainly has facial hair, so that's good. Um, that's, that's does he have facial hair? Does he have he's got a big bushy beard? Big bushy bearded. How do you feel about the big bushy beard on the closer, Patrick? Uh, I'm not sure if I'm crazy about this. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I sort of like yeah, it is like a thing. I mean, Brian Wilson is, was ridiculous. Um, yeah. And Bobby <laughs> Parnell's not quite as crazy, but it does seem to be like a thing. Like you get these kind of like, like country-looking closers, kind of. Yeah, exactly. Like they have to look like they just finished chopping uh, down seventeen trees and then logging. Like finished a logging competition. And they're sponsored by like uh, what's a chainsaw? Like there's like they you know they right they yeah finish yeah like that and then they rolling come in logs and they down sort of like only throw fastballs and yeah <laughs> right right some sort of I log. Think thinking, I think I'm really just thinking of Jason Mott right now. Yeah, <laughs> uh, who's like on the, the Cardinals closer, I guess. He's a, another one with a beard. He's a chunky fellow too. Right, that's who I'm imagining is sort of like the bearded country 
if like closer guy. If we could replace his Cardinals uniform with a flannel, like a red. You no, you wouldn't notice, and I just assume that's what he's wearing underneath his Cardinals jersey. <laughs> exactly, he has like a country, like a red plaid flannel on under his jersey with suspenders, without a doubt. Right, with like suspenders and whatever kind of pants lumberjacks wear. Yeah. Right, and he smells of maple syrup. At least in my mind. Um, so Parnell takes over the closer spot. Um, what do you, what do you think of these these other pickups though? I mean, have you obviously people went crazy, go nuts over Calgill after the first week, but we said it when that pickup was made that I thought it had a chance to be a very solid pickup, uh, even if he's in a platoon role. I thought he right. has a chance to be a very solid player. He hustles. He plays the game. Uh, I hate the saying. Uh, the right so, way. Yes. No, I won't say it. I'm saying it. he plays the game hard. Okay. That's fair, right? Right. Uh, as part of a platoon, is the key to the outfield being halfway, halfway decent, a halfway decent looking broad, um, Lucas Duda? I mean, is he the key? To, if he's a major league player, is he the key? I think mm, I actually think Duda is less of the key. I think you can kind of expect like a range or due to where he'll either be like he'll hit enough to make up for his defense where you're not really losing anything or he'll hit a lot and kind of be like a, a halfway decent player to make up for his defense. Um, or he won't hit at all and he'll just be terrible. <laughs> I mean, that, that actually sounds like a wider range, but it's sort of like, I think how many games like Lucas Doodle swing them at the outfield is maybe like one or two. Um, whereas I think that's actually the same for each one of the spots um, and maybe a little bit higher for like, if the center field platoon, I think, goes well, I think I wouldn't be surprised if, like, that combination has a higher ceiling than Duda. Um, well, where where think, do you – no, go ahead, Patrick. I think, like – and, like, you know, Mike Baxter is actually, like, the way he hit last year is how he can actually hit in the major league. I think he'll be better than Duda, too. So I think the ceiling on the other two positions is actually a little bit higher than Duda. Well, where where do you stand in the church of Jordani Valdespin? <laughs> Because he's very polarizing. A lot of people hate him. A lot of people love him. Where do you stand on him? Um, like I don't hate him or love him. I think I think I'm like glad he exists. Um, because I think he's like his existence is very entertaining. That's like, so I'm existential. Glad he's a baseball player that I'm aware of. If that makes any sense. I'll, I'll, like that makes perfect ridiculous. sense. Ridiculous. I'll go one further. I'm glad he's on my team. I think he's going to make things very entertaining. Right, and entertaining. And, yeah, definitely entertaining. And can't uh, no one stop him? Wait, what is what is the tweet he keeps tweeting? That's completely. And and I'm not making fun of his English, but it's just completely. What well, he's trying to say, nobody can stop me. But he's actually saying, I can't be stopped by can't. Or I don't know what he's saying. <laughs> what is he? What is he saying? You know that tweet I'm talking about, right, guys? Like he keeps sending out the same tweet. Can't nobody stop me but me or something? Oh, it's magnificent. It's it, kind of like I don't almost like don't want to watch him play baseball, but while he's like while he's hitting, I think it's a lot of fun to see. Even though like I don't necessarily want him like starting for the next <laughs> right playing next, every but, day on your team. Right, if, like he's playing every day, like something went wrong, um, or like you're just desperate for a solution and like fine, let's let this guy because maybe he'll hit some home runs. Right. Um, he'll, he'll run into a couple of fastballs, right? Right, that kind of thing. But like, really, like if he's playing every day center field for the Mets, like something went really wrong this year. 
<laughs> like he's he's probably better served to just catch the highlights every night. If if he does, right? Something. He's like like if he's, I mean like he's playing center field. Like like at the end of last season, like if the Mets are just like whatever, let's see if he can play center field in September. Like fine, but if it's like May and he's playing center field every day, that's bad. Like the season is just going bad. <laughs> that's Keith Miller territory. Yeah, that's that's not what we signed on for. Um, yeah. I I uh, he really I mean, is. He's, he's talented. He there is clearly t- he must drive a Moneyball guy like you though. I know you're not a pure Moneyball guy. Uh, Patrick, but he must drive a sabermetician type person crazy, like absolutely crazy. Well, it's just like he doesn't have any plate discipline. It, it is like he's definitely talented. Like he can, I mean, I think just the idea that you can actually take like a middle infielder and just go here, play center field at the major league, and he can like do it at like an acceptable enough level where it's not like oh gosh, we can't play him there. You know, like, you, you can actually get away with him in center field. He's fast enough and, and like, talented enough to, to kind of get under enough fly balls where you can get away with it. And that's impressive. And, he's, like, he's got a lot of pop and speed and stuff like that, but just it does seem like he just swings at everything. And he doesn't really have any idea of, like, you know, how to hit major league pitching, um, except for I think he was very good at pinch hitting because the guys are just, like, always coming off the bench with throwing a fastball. Right. And, and, right, guys like that tend to eat up. Um, guys who can hit fastballs and will just swing at everything. Tend to do pretty well as pinch hitters in those kinds. As of hard things. as he can, right, right. He closes his eyes and swings. He doesn't seem to be coming up to the plate with a plan. No, that doesn't seem. He's not. He's not. I don't. It's not even that, like, like he's not yeah. coming up to the plate with a plan. It's just like the idea of even having a plan <laughs> hasn't entered his mind yet. Like maybe <laughs> I could plan ahead a little bit, right? And like think about what might happen, or like learn from what happened last time. Like those thoughts haven't quite like even entered the realm of possible thoughts. You know what would have been good? A couple things. <laughs> but I, I am glad for him. I am glad for his existence on our baseball team because he's fun to talk about. Would have been great to see him with a guy like Carlos Delgado and his notebook. Like in his book. And like see him on the bench and like Valdez Bean is like, what's that? Like, what are you doing? And Carlos Delgado is like, I'm charting every pitcher that I've ever faced and every at-bat that I've ever had in the major leagues. I'm writing it down, you see, because the next time I'll know what the pitcher is uh, has done and what his tendencies are and stuff like that. And then Valdez Bean would put... But at this, at this point, while he's explaining it, he's already got up and walked away. <laughs> and put on a Marlin pad. Like, he's already just he's walked away and just... Uh, okay, can't nobody stop, can't nobody. He's, he's already tweeting, like, at this point, while Delgado's explaining to him why it's important to keep a book on the pitches that you face. And yet, he has an extraordinary amount of natural ability. He does. I mean, I think that's really clear. Like, he is he's a pretty good athlete. Um, he really, he's going to be fun to watch. Oh, he's fun to watch. And the, and the other great thing about it is just the exasperation that he gives Terry Collins. <laughs> right. I mean, they're a sitcom. Yeah. Per, they're a perfect sitcom. Like, if you were casting a baseball movie at this point about the Mets, they are perfectly cast as, like, the the sort of older, old-school manager who's fiery and about to hopefully not have a stroke at any minute and the exacer, you know, exas- <laughs> exasperating Latino middle infielder who marches to the beat of his own drummer. I don't know who we're getting to play that, but this is this is Major League. This is exactly how you'd cast it. 
Now, all all of that, you were talking about a platoon in center field. Who is that platoon? Is it Calgill and Neuenheis? Can't be. I think it's got to be Calgill and Neuenheis. Really? Yeah, I think I think uh, Kirk. Oh. I don't think everybody reads too much in the spring training staff. Like as much as everyone knows, like oh, spring training staff don't matter and stuff like that. It's kind of like the way we talk about platoons and stuff in, like before spring training starts. I like guarantee you that that every single baseball team has an idea if they're gonna have like a platoon. They have an idea who the two guys are gonna be, and spring training maybe has the tiniest amount of influence on it. In so much as like as long as Marlon Bird like shows up in shape. Like, okay, he gets to be part of a platoon. And as long as nobody gets hurt, like Calgill and, and Neuenheit become the platoon guys. Um, I, and I mm. think I'd be really surprised if spring training actually affects that. As much as, like, when you're watching these games as a fan, it's like you feel like, you know, Colin Calgill going nuts to go, like, oh, he should play every day. I, don't, I really don't think that has that much of an effect on team's plans. I, I, I do get that. I disagree a little bit with one of the assessments as far as it – or when it comes to young players and young players that aren't established and have played in the major – like Kirk Neuenheis is a great example to me. Um, you know, Duda is to a lesser extent. But Neuenheis is a great example to me because he did play last year. Yeah, it was a small sample size, but it wasn't that small. Okay, so you, you saw a little bit what he does at the major league level. And then, you know, spring training, these are still professional baseball players. I mean, they're they're you are still approaching, especially as you get later into spring training. I mean, they played like twenty seven games. Um, right. I mean, like everyone's spring training is like at the most like fifty at bats, right? Yeah, I'm I'm not saying you you judge things solely on that, but for a young player who's trying to make the team, okay, and and you're still trending or you're still doing the things that you did poorly in the season last year. In other words, you haven't shown improvement on your breaking ball recognition. You haven't shown improvement uh, on being able to make contact with two strikes and shorten up and go to, whatever it is. Those things that you're trying to work on, you know, I think you don't necessarily have a job, or you may the plans may change a little bit. Whereas a guy like Marlon Bird, yeah, I totally agree. If he shows up in shape and proves proves that he has any sort of bat speed. That's fine. He's going to be part of that platoon. But a guy like Nuenice to me is not guaranteed. I don't know. I think I think Nuenice has a spot, um, and I think I, it'd be very hard. Yeah. I think you, like coming into spring training, I think Nuenice has a spot, and it'd be really, really not just because like I, I just think just like the general idea that that like Kirk Nuenice got like three hundred something at bats in the major leagues last year and has however many thousand at bats in the minor leagues, and then you're going to make a decision about whether or not he's going to play center field based on like. 50 exhibition game at bat. It's just no, like, no, it's no, totally I, insane. Right, no, no, no. I'm not saying to make that decision on the... First of all, but with Nuenheis specifically, he didn't get 50 at bats. He was hurt. So that's, right. I mean, that's right. a big... That's, right. That's, right, so then you're talking about, right, he was hurt, which is, I think, that's the, the biggest factor as to whether or not they're going right. to make the opening that's what I'm, but, but that's right. what I'm talking about a little bit, too. It's not like he got those 50 at bats. I mean, look at Ruben Tejada right now. Like, that was going to be... Uh, I had this marked down as, like, question number six. Uh, it's spring training. I'm not panicked, but there is panic uh, about Ruben Tejada hitting 0.75 or whatever he hit for spring training. No, it doesn't. Uh, like, 
uh, we can like you can play the game like like who hit really well last year in spring training for the Mets and like a certain number of people are going to remember and then you go back two years and nobody has any idea who played well in spring training right exactly so so like before the, the 2011 season who was hitting well in spring training exactly that's why I'm saying Ruben Tejada doesn't lose his job to me he's an established major league player. Um, uh, and and there there is a greater track record there. I'm talking about somebody like Neuenheis, who was supposed to be part of that platoon, has been hurt, and in the at-bats when he wasn't hurt, has not shown movement, and it's not like he was, you know, he's some huge prospect or something. All I'm saying is, in those situations to me with younger players, I feel like somebody can sneak in and become part of the platoon. You mean like Valdespin? Like a Valdespin. Sure. Sure, like a Valdespin. Um... That, I think that's. I think oh, there obviously there, there are certain right. positions where it's more up for grabs. Like I think all the left-handed relievers and that's brought in on minor league contracts were definitely competing for spots. Right. Um, and their spring training mattered. Right for them, like for Pedro Feliciano, the spring training mattered. Not necessarily like how he pitched, but just like could he, you know, how fast was his fastball and, and that sort of stuff. Like, yeah, did that, it look like that, he that was get stuff. Really out. Right. That wasn't results. That was stuff. Like, does he have Major League stuff right now? I don't care if he gets 17 of the 17 guys he phases out. He could be doing it without Major League stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just, I, I had that, I don't want to get, I don't want to hang up too much of our time on Kirk Neuenheis, but um, but it is interesting because they are going to be relying so much on platoons in the outfield. Um, and I think, I, I still think Duda is a big key, only because, Cal, what do you make of, of Lucas Duda, I, I say that he's a big key only because I feel like the front office views him as a big key. I think the front office views him as they're waiting for this guy to hit 30, 35 home runs and hit 280. They think that player is there. And they keep saying that. And I think because they keep saying that, we keep waiting for it also. Maybe. You know, but my, you know, my eyes tell me that I don't think he's ever going to be a 30 to 35 home run guy. You know, maybe he hits 20 home runs in a season. You know, maybe he's a passable corner outfielder, but I don't think he's ever going to be this like power hitting middle of the order, big bopper that they expect him to be. I don't know. I'm willing to give him one more year though. I think that this is, I think he was this like is kind his... of that guy for the, for like the end of like 2011. Right. Yeah. No, he and that's sort of like the whole Lucas Duda can be a major league outfielder just comes from a, like that like month and a half stretch at the end of 2011. And that's why I'm not willing to, to give up on him yet. I want to give him another year. He's still young. He's shown that he can do it before. But I really do think this is kind of a make-or-break season for him as to whether or not he'll ever be close to or if at all what the front office thinks he's going to be. Yeah, right. I, yeah no, I, I agree with that. That's, that's accurate. Um, the uh, the rotation is what it is. The, the the lineup is what it is. If everybody's, this is sort of a boring question, but I want to ask it anyway, just because it's fun and sports are fun. Damn it, um, that's not a boring question. But what's your? Give me your opening day lineup. They're they're facing uh, who? Edison Volquez, is that correct? Yes. Um, and you know, with the uh, the caveat that everybody is healthy, what is this team going to look like? Next Monday. Everybody's healthy, and, and we're saying they're facing a right-handed pitcher. Correct. Okay. And we're saying everybody's like Murphy's playing and Wright is playing. You, and... you have all of these marvelous pieces at your disposal. Okay. So then, oh, do I have to like pick the batting order too? 
Yeah, let's do that. You want to do well, that? That makes it tougher because now I have to remember. Like, all right, so well, you think you get all the left hand hitters? So lead off. Yeah, who is lead off? <laughs> lead off is uh, like Mike Baxter, maybe. So you have Baxter playing on opening day over Marlon Burt? I would hope so. Yeah. Wow. Uh, uh like, wait, are we going with like the opening day lineup that I hope it is, or like the opening day lineup that might actually be? <laughs> this has that, become very confusing. Let's do. I'm sorry. I'm I'm a poor master of ceremonies tonight. I apologize. Um, let's do what you hope for, because we have you on for your opinions. All right. So then I'm going to hope for. I'm going to say. And you look. Yeah, Baxter first. Baxter leading off in in right field. Okay. And you have uh, Tejada hitting second, playing shortstop. Okay. Can I be um, Mike Francesa while you're doing this? Yes. Yes, you can. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, I think you like right, hits third, and, and plays third base. You have Ike Davis clean up first base. All right. The, ca- um, the captain, right. Okay. you got Ike. All right. Okay. Right. Right. Ike. Um, oh, man. Now it gets tough. It does get tough now. Right? Like who hits fifth? So that, I, I guess Duda, right? I guess like I tell Duda you, it's and Lutfield. It's, it's not a good organization. Um. They're two years away. Go. Back to back. Actually, let's have, we'll have Murphy hitting fifth. Murphy hitting fifth, playing second base. We'll have Duda hitting um, sixth in left field. Okay. Uh, you got, let's say, uh, let's throw John Buck in there. I yeah. think Buck will start opening day. Even I think so. Tough. All right, so we'll, we'll have Buck. We'll have Buck in there. Um, hitting seventh and catching in the new and high Okay. Field. Okay. Hitting ace, and then you got Johnny on the mound. Good and lineup. It's a good lineup. Cal, what's your lineup? All right, let's go. Here we go. All right, fire away. Let's have it. I like your lineup, Patrick. I like your lineup. All right. I I have. Not gonna put. It's not gonna put a lot of fannies in the seats. Say that much. Okay. I think you're just waiting for the hot shot catcher to come. I up. think you're just waiting for for uh, Dano. Dano. Denore. I think you're just waiting uh, for him and Wheeler and uh, Harvey, and away you go. All right. That's two years, Met fans. I think I think <laughs> Jordani Valdespin is going to start in center field and lead off. Wow. I, 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 yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> but is, is that, are you going with who you think is going to be? I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going with what I think is going to happen because I don't get paid for my opinions. That's right. That's right. You don't write for a blog. Doesn't yeah, it doesn't matter what I what I want. Right. This is what I think. <laughs> so I think I think you're gonna see Dallas Bean in center field. Nice. You're gonna see Daniel Murphy at second base, batting second. You get David Wright at third base batting third. The captain. Okay. Ike Davis clean up at first base. I think you're gonna see Marlon Bird batting fifth in right field. This oh, is gosh. what I, remember. This is what I know. It's not what you want, Patrick. But this right. is what I. This is what I think. <laughs> Based on the old school manager who has to go lefty righty down the lineup. That's true. That's a good point. Uh, sixth will be Duda in left. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Buck will catch and bat seventh, and then Tejada will play shortstop and bat eighth with John Nice. Pitching. Although if it was Tony Larusa, Nice would bat eighth because he's a lefty, <laughs> and Tejada would bat ninth. Right. But Tony Larusa invented baseball, so he can do that. He gets away with that. So that's fine. Um, I'm not even going to bother 
<laughs> I'm going to say this, and then I want to I want to move to an entirely different subject. This is your fourth time on the show, Patrick. I have uh, other questions. I will say this: this spring training has been long, has been grueling. Uh, I, for one, cannot wait for the season to start on Monday. Um, I think everybody feels that way. I think we're all all in agreement there. Um, I can't remember a time, Patrick, we've been talking about this on the show literally for about three months. Right. That people have been as down on this team as they are right now and cannot be uh, remember ever being as frustrated with my fellow Met fan as I am right now because as we have saying, why are you frustrated by your fellow Mets fans? Because as we have been saying for three to four months on this show, the 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 light is at the end of the tunnel. It's there. The bloodletting, the the bad contracts, the rebuilding, the the you know, the Madoff, the, the st- I mean, they're not out of the financial woods, but the Madoffs and the hating of the Wilpons and the being the jokes on Family Guy and all this stuff, all this terrible stuff, LOL Mets. The light is at the end of the tunnel. The rebuild is so clear, so abundantly clear that this is the year, yeah, are they going to win a World Series? Probably not. Are they going to make the playoffs? No. I'm turning into Iron Eagle. I know. I'm sorry. I'm asking questions of myself and answering them. But you're going to see Matt Harvey this year. You're going to see Zach Wheeler at some point. You're going to see Darnell. You're going to see the future of this team coming up and playing. What is better than that? Other than the only the only thing that's better is when that group wins a World Series, right? When they start winning and stuff like that. Exactly. Um, but you you're going to uh, look. I was there at oh no, really turning into Francesca. I was in the building, okay, at Daryl Strawberry's first game in 1983. I was there. I was lucky enough to go to that game that day. And I was nine years old, nine years old. I just turned nine years old. And I, I, I had been a Mets fan at this point for five years already. And you could feel the change. I, st- I remember to this day, you could feel the change. There was a sea change with this team that was palpable in the air. It was there that it was, and then you went and saw Doc in '84. It was coming. The rebuild was coming to fruition. Now is the time. This is the season, not next year. You don't have to wait for 2014. It's this year. This is '83. Now they're 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 still pieces away. They're still Hernandez away. They're still, but Cal, right? We've been saying this for three, four months. You know, the light is at the end of the tunnel. The rebuild, after the Dickey trade especially, where he got not only uh, 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 Darno, but he got Syndergaard. It's it's so clear what he's doing. He's building power arms. 
He's building a huge front end of the rotation. He's He wants three to four quality, reliable bats. Doesn't matter what positions they play. He's going to throw a lot of spaghetti at the wall when it comes to the bullpen and try to put power arms out there and close out games. I mean, it's clear what he's building. He's building the Giants. He wants the payroll around $100 million with the flexibility to go up to 120 if they need to, to go get a Carlos Beltran, to go get a Hunter Pence. And he's building up the farm system to trade for those guys. It's, I mean, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. <laughs> you know? So, I... I I, I want to get to that other part of what I was talking about, about fanhood and rooting for teams. But, Patrick, we've had you on the show. This is the fourth time now. And we never asked you, and we want to now. How did you become a Met fan? I know that seems like an out-of-left-field question, but um, we've been asking this lately of our guests. Okay, that's a good one. It's easy enough for me. It's just my dad is a Mets fan. So I grew up rooting for the Mets, and that's sort of... That's all there is to it, really. But what's your, what is what would be your first tangible memory of rooting for the Mets? Like, what's the first thing that, like, if if you had to think back in your history as a Mets fan, what's the first thing you remember? First thing I remember is uh, my first Mets game. Uh, I went with my my dad, took me and my brother, and I must have been like six or seven. I remember that. I remember being very, very disappointed that we had to leave early because my brother got sick. Uh, it's just like, come on, you jerk. <laughs> I want to stay and watch the Mets play Jeffy get sick. That's a uh, terrible job by him. Terrible job. Right. No, I think he I think he ate something bad, and uh, it did not sit well with him, so we had to leave. At Shea? Uh, which is, which happens with little kids, unfortunately. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so I remember that, yeah. I, like, remember- I think my first... Todd Hundley was like my first favorite Mets player. Uh, nice. Yeah, because you know you when you're that age, you pick whoever the most famous one is. Which also usually. says a lot about the Mets that at some point Todd Hundley was like the best known Met. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you came to the Mets at a. We've been talking about this too because uh, you know the ages of our our guests have varied quite a bit. So you came to the Mets at like, well, so many so many Mets fans did came to the Mets at like a rough time. Yeah, well, because that's older, you know. <laughs> right. There's, there's like two pockets. Like if yeah. you were born in like '77, '78, and you started, so you started watching baseball when you're six, seven years old. That's magnificent. You came in right, right at '84. You watch the Mets like that, yeah. But then, and then, sort of like you know, maybe if you're born like 1960, and then you're a really little kid in the Mets, <laughs> right. you know, all of a sudden they're good, and you become aware of them. That would also be exciting. Right. Outside of those two pockets. <laughs> Not so much. No, well, I mean, like, I had the Don Hummy Mets and stuff like that, but then, like, pretty soon after I became aware of them, Mets and actually started following, like, they traded from, like, Piazza, and, like, you know, they were good and exciting in 99 and 2000. So um, do you... I remember those years pretty well. Do you... So you don't have any recollection of Generation K? No, I do. That I do have a recollection of. That uh, would have been right at the beginning, I, right? Where, like I caught the tail end of that, and sort of like after it's disappointing, I remember being in elementary school and reading, like you know, taking the book out of the library, the school library that was like the history of the Mets, that like ended with Generation K, as like you know, like <laughs> this will be an exciting, promising thing for the Mets, like the uh, future looks bright with Generation K. Um, yeah, it does. Right. 
Oh, that's see that great. picture of the three of them on the cover of the Sporting News. Ah, uh, oh, the worst. Ah, oh. um, that that's now. Was there a push and pull with the Yankees? Was were the Yankees ever in? I mean, that's tough. Again, tough times to become no. a, a Mets fan. The, the Yankees were never in play. No, I'll say that there's probably like a picture of me, like maybe six or seven, where. Like now, it's even older than that. Like nine or ten, where my my best friend, who is a Yankee fan, like I probably went to a Yankee game with him. So you probably find like a picture of like little Patrick wearing like a Yankees shirt, which I'm not proud of. Right. Um. So it's it's happened, but it was never like a serious consideration. Like, oh, maybe I'll root for the Yankees. Like, you know, when you're like that little, you don't really care. You don't know. Like, you don't know. You're not smart enough to know to hate the Yankees. But then, whenever I became smart enough to hate the Yankees, it the the switch flipped, and that's been it ever since. It's funny. I was. I was actually smart enough to hate the Yankees. That's very odd. I was. A, I was a prodigy. What are you going to do? <laughs> I was one of these prodigy kids. You know, I knew how to hate and and root for a team at four. It was great. Now I I did convert my brother though. Cal, you know that. I know. My brother was your a, older brother. Yeah, my older brother was was a Yankee fan, uh, for sure. And I was such a. Uh, vociferous, loud, annoying, like, eight-year-old with the Mets that I forced him. He was 10. I forced him to become a Mets fan. And uh, we had a – I'll never forget this. We had a ritualized ceremony and everything where he switched out his – it was in the back of our uh, station wagon. We had one of those old Buick station wagons where you could sit the seat in the back faced out, face the back. Nothing safe about that, by the way. I mean, talk about unbelievably. You had an eight-year-old and a ten-year-old back there. No seatbelts, no nothing. I think they, the fact they call it a rumble seat makes it really <laughs> unsafe. Right. Um, and you're, you're facing Patrick. Do you know about these station wagons? You might be a little young for these. Uh, no, we had one. Okay, yeah. So you I had family this... had a station wagon at some point. There, right. I have four siblings, so we like we've had all the uh, different okay. types of cars that. Can transport right. five little kids. Yeah. The very back seat actually faced back. It like folded up, and you were facing yep. out the back yep. window. I've been which, in those cars. Yeah, yeah, it was a <laughs> magnificent spaceship, by the way. Um, always. And uh, my brother and I, you know, fighting back there, rolling around. Um, and I made him ceremoniously take off the Met hat or the Yankee hat and put on a Met hat. It was like it was a big deal, a very but, big but, deal. As you should, you saved his soul. I can't. He hates me for it now. 30, 30 years later, he's like, really, dude, really? I have to root. He doesn't root for inferior, or he doesn't watch inferior sports, as he likes to say. Um, and and one of the reasons we ask, we we've started to ask this question or try to find this out or whatever is because it takes a certain amount of unbelievable passion for your team and and rooting interest to do what you do to do what we do, which is blog or write about the team or do a sports talk show every week or whatever, a podcast um, without any sort of financial remuneration um, because you love the team. Which brings me to my my big point, what I wanted to talk about. I don't understand something, guys. This is going to be my CBS Sports Minute, Cal. <laughs> Have you heard those, by the way, Patrick? The CBS Sports. Oh, oh yeah, I have. I have, yeah. and then there's always that sort of like 
dumbfounded after it's over. Like, I'm not sure that made any sense. (laughs) There is. It's always filled with snarky indignance. You have that one moment of, wait a minute, that that, that didn't make any sense. What? What is he talking? Look, I get that you're talking about the Mets, okay? But listen, bro. Um, The bottom line is he's LeBron James, and he's a basketball player. (laughs) I'm Doug Gottlieb. Thanks, Doug. Or whoever. Yeah, that was so good. I So I don't want to turn this into a CBS Sports Minute. All I want to say is this. Lately, it sort of struck me that I don't know why, you know, they had this thing that the Met fan was, what, like 28th or something in the fan index, loyalty index or something uh, in Major League Baseball. You saw that, Patrick, right? I did not. No, no I heard about that. That sounds, yeah. I didn't look at it. It sounds ridiculous. So, yeah, the the, the Mets Forbes, right? Yeah, Forbes fan index, loyalty index, the Mets were like 28th or something. And on Met Twitter, Mets Twitter or whatever, um, people were like, yup, that's us. Like there was almost like a point of pride or like, we're not like that. You know, well, y- you are. You are. I, I don't understand... Where the enjoyment is anymore for certain fans. I think following a sports team has gotten to the point where, and maybe it's just New York, I don't know. Um, it's not enjoyable. Like, if you don't think the team has any chance of winning, and I'm realistic, I'm not out here with pom poms when it comes to the Mets, I'm realistic. I understand that this is probably like a 75-win team. It's fine. There are certain things I'm looking for this season. I will go to the ballpark because I love to watch baseball. Because it beats the crap out of watching, you know, HGTV at home again. But I don't understand if you don't think the team has any chance to win, then why do you still root for the team? Or if you're not... Why do you expend so much energy being negative and pissing all over the people that do still root for the team? I, I don't, I don't, I don't understand anymore. I'm starting to, I'm starting to just not be able to understand where and why people root for teams. Like, why are you? And you, you write blogs. You take up hours of your day. Time is very valuable. Trust me. And you you write blog posts and, you know, 750 words about how stupid the Mets are because they did they charge 60 bucks for tickets on opening day. Like, really? I don't even want to say, like, really. I don't understand. What's the enjoyment? Where is the enjoyment? Has the enjoyment disappeared, guys, in rooting for a team? In having a passionate rooting interest in a team. You know, is it is it possible to be pure anymore and just have that and not crap all over every decision your team makes? I don't know. Well, that's, I'm Steve Sampietro, RTU Sports. <laughs> I don't know. Cal, please. I've talked enough for a lifetime. I don't I don't know I don't know about the whole being pure thing, but I think in this day and age, you have to make a conscious choice. 
you have to choose to either be negative and snarky and, and just rip the team to shreds when they're not doing good. All the time. Well, well, they haven't done they haven't done well for a number of years. So I'm talking about now. Yeah, but I'm or, saying it's all the time. It never right. stops. Like every decision the Mets make, everything they do, right? You treat it that way, or you make the decision that this is my team. I'm going to support them. I don't like what they do a lot of the time, but I'm not going to constantly kill them. I'm going to I'm going to get past that because I love baseball and I love the Mets. And I'm I'm that I'm going to look for the positive. I'm going to look for certain things. I think that that's you know, at this point in time, you got to make that choice. Patrick, what do you think of that? Am I just uh, am I getting curmudgeonly and and just crotchety? If you spend too much time on Twitter, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely that's definitely what it seems like. Um, I will say I this. Also, I will I will say this. It, it's and and that's a that's a, a fair point, and I'm going to let you continue in just one second. But it's not just Twitter. It's not. It's it's because I did that. I I went off of Twitter and stuff like that. It's it's any blog. It's the newspapers. It's it's just it seems like everywhere. So go ahead. I'm sorry. I mean, the other thing is the Mets. The Mets themselves have been, you know, this is like their fifth straight year. They're going to be their fifth straight year, probably finishing under 500. Um, so they've been they've been bad for a little while, so that doesn't help. Um, I think Twitter as like a medium just tends to be very kind of like snarky and making fun of everything. So if you get a lot of your Mets news, I think from from newspapers and from basically anywhere anywhere you're going to get Mets news, other than like talking to like your coworker or your friend or your dad about the team, um, that sort of thing, it's going to be it's going to just kind of trend negative. Um, because like the newspaper, the story is that the Mets are bad and they're they're still bad. It's going to be a straight year of being bad. Um, so that that just tends to be negative. Twitter in general tends to be negative. Um, I think some blogs get a little bit maybe more optimistic and and sunshine. But um, there are certain ones also where it's just you know everything is always the end of the world. Well, you, you, that's that's a great point, Patrick. Because and we've talked about this before. The the fact that the bloggers now are kind of you know I almost prefer to go to a site where it's a blogger and get my news there, which is going to be a little more straight, straightforward with a little bit, not that it's going to have a positive spin on it. I'm not necessarily looking for, for the positive spin. I just don't need the negative spin. I just want it as straight as possible. And I think a lot of the blogs do a good job with that more so than the beat writers and the newspapers. And I think that there are so many blogs now, you know, it's 2013, there's a million of them. And the smart fan, depending on, like I said before, depending on which road you want to travel down, you have the option. You choose to go to the sites that you want to go to and get your news that way. Yeah, yeah that's, I, definitely, that's definitely true, too. Yeah, I um, feel... You can pick and choose, yeah. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I just feel like maybe... Some of those avenues that used to be, I think some of those avenues have gone a little dark when it comes to the Mets. That's all. And not and and not not to defend them, because I it it's it's aggravating at times. But like Patrick said, this is going to be the fifth year of being under five hundred. So so fans are worn down. Even fans that were relatively straight down the middle and and trying to be realistic. 
after five years, it's only natural for people to kind of just be, you know, this is you know, enough's enough, and I'm I'm getting tired of this. Right. You know, so so I can I can understand a little bit of the angst that I see. But it's not five years of going into the season knowing you're going to be bad at all. I mean, not that that excuses it, but 2009 and 2010, they were picked to make the playoffs, and one year they were picked to make the World Series, you know, to go to the World Series by lots of papers and prognostications. So it's not like they have sucked going into the season for the last five years. But that's almost worse because... It's not that people thought that they were going to suck going into the season. That's what I'm saying. It's not it, right. It, it, the, the expectation. We have no expectations of this team. I think this is the third year in a row that we've had that. But it's almost worse when you have expectations and then they let you down. And you've got yeah. And no, you've no, got no, 2000. No, you've got yep. 2006, 2007, 2008, 2009 of letting you down. Right. On top of and 2010 and 2010, <laughs> and then on that's on top of 2011 and 2012 and 2013 where you don't have any expectations. Right. So, so it's a long time. I, I get that. I, I do understand that. And I'm, that, not, I'm that, just speculating. That, no, no. That's the, this, this is exactly why I opened it up. I wanted to have a conversation. Maybe, maybe it's me. You know, maybe it's me. I just don't. And it probably has a lot to do with the fact that I'm also a Jet fan right now. Um, and these are not easy times to be one of those either. Um, yeah, it seems to the Jets is even, are even kind of like that. The fans are a little bit more. Oh, they're worse right now. The maybe that's fans. They're are. worse. They're, con- yeah, they're considerably worse. It seems like when, once you make that turn from things sort of on an upswing, and then once the disappointment sets in again, that's when it gets. Really they bad. are actually worse. Yeah. My my thing was, I just wonder what enjoyment is being derived out of just consistent. I'm not again. I'm not asking for pom poms and rosebuds and. Wait, I don't know where I'm going. Yo, you know, uh, rosebuds. Rose I don't know, but uh, rose petals. I don't know. I'm not asking for you know people to be reading the rose-colored glasses. Maybe I think I was combining a bunch of things there. Right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Laying roses. At your feet. <laughs> I'm not asking to lay you down on a bed of roses. Um, Rosie Perez. Thank you, thank you, PJ. <laughs> Billy, why are you so stupid? Come on, Billy. The Stooky Brothers. I'm sorry. Anytime Rosie Perez's name is mentioned, I have to do my quick impression from White Man Can't Jump. Okay. So, Stooky Brothers, by the way, is a great name for a uh, fantasy baseball team or a fantasy basketball team. Um, no, I just I I'm I'm not asking for everybody to turn a blind eye to, uh, you know how bad things have been or the bad things that the Mets do. They do do a lot of head scratching bad things. I think this particular off-season and spring training, it's taken a turn to the crazy for me, to the crazy, to to seeing articles like the worst outfield ever or the worst the worst outfield, not even ever, in professional sports, like the worst unit. In, I mean, and, and Met fans being like, yup, that's us. <laughs> like, why would you enjoy that? Well, you know, Patrick, I got a question for you. How, how do you approach a season like this, where clearly the expectations are are minimal? Um, do you go like opening day is Monday? Are you excited for the season to start? Are you looking for this? Like, are you excited to watch for certain things throughout the season? How do you approach this? 
I think I'm excited for baseball to be back. I really like the thing. I think the thing I like most about baseball and being a baseball fan is that it is on basically every day. So I know that going on from like Monday until the end of September, or I, the season goes into October this year, right? Or does it not? It I don't even know yet. Right. All right. So basically, until that's then, like you know, if I'm you know. I come home from work and I just want to sit down and watch something. I can just sort of like put on the Mets game. If I want to play, pay really close attention to every pitch, I can do that. If I just want to like have it on in the background while I'm doing something else, I can do that. It's kind of like, but it's there if I want it. So that's what I'm most excited about. At the same time, it looks like I'm way more excited about like Game of Thrones coming back on Sunday <laughs> than maybe I am about the Mets coming back on Monday because like, you know, it's like Game of Thrones. It's going to be so exciting. I can't wait to watch where the Mets will be like, it's something to do. Um, it'd be nicer if I was sort of more excited about the Mets season, like, you know, thinking, like, this is going to be the year. Can't wait to watch all these games. They're going to be great. They're going to, like, you know, run over the National League, which, you know, clearly not at that point yet. Right. All right. That's fair. Well, I thank you for indulging me, guys. I feel like, um, you know, I, I use the word purity, and I and I I take it back to why you started rooting for a team in the first place. And and a lot of this has to do with, you know, as I'm thinking about all this for the last couple of days, last night on SNY, they had that great, um, you know, Shea goodbye, that great special, you know, 45 years of, of Shea or whatever. And, and uh, it was like a two and a half special narrated by uh, Matthew Broderick. Wonderful. You love that show. Ferris Bueller. No, the other one I was watching, Cal, there's two shows. The other one, Patrick, I was like texting Cal, like, I'm in tears yeah. here. I'm like a big mush. Like, I'm watching this and I'm, you know, having this, God, I love the Mets moment. Um, the other one was the top 50 players of all time. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. Top 50 Mets of all time. Um, and I'm watching this show last night and I'm saying, you know, I love this team. I, I love rooting for this team. Like, I'm not embarrassed by it. I'm not, yeah, do I like the Wilpons? No, well documented. Do I wish it was called uh, the Mookie Wilson Rotunda? Yeah, pretty much. But I love this team. Like, I'm going to be there when they win again. They will win again. They will. The, as they said in Spinal, the law of averages <laughs> says that they will win again. And I just, I just began to wonder why certain people seem to root for the team. I didn't get it. You know, I didn't get it. So, thank you for indulging me. I appreciate that. Now, we we can we can you hang out for another minute or two? I can. Excellent. Because we wanted to ask you about your trip to the Middle East. Oh, did you? Okay. We did. We, we did. We did. we're gonna get away from the. Oh, real quick before we go to before we go to the Middle East. <laughs> Sounds so scary. Um, before we get there, though, give us uh, your predictions. We, this is another SNL sketch that we have to do. Yeah. Uh, give us the uh, – we'll start with the NL East. We'll start there. What do you got? What do you got? How do you see it playing out? What do you got? How do I see this playing out? Um, the Nationals, Braves, Mets, Phillies, Marlins. Nationals, Braves, Mets, Phillies, Marlins. I like that. I think I'm on the – Cal? I think I like that too. Yeah, I'm on the same page. I mean, maybe the Phillies will be ahead of the Mets, but – Right, I think Mets – I think the middle three teams could – I think the Mets will be like third or fourth. I think the Phillies could be in any of those three spots, and I think the Braves will end up second or third. Right. I yeah, think I the Marlins will definitely be the worst team, and I think the the Nationals will definitely be the best team. Okay. Um, 
do we even want to go around the rest of baseball, or do you feel good there? I don't know if I can go division by division, but I, you know, I think I think the Nationals are probably the favorite in the National League, right? Yeah, I guess. Dude, I mean, they have like you know, you like where are they weak? Really, you can kind of just be like maybe Ian they're Hill, not like second base, right? Yeah. Like, maybe like Danny Espinosa is good. Um, he's, yeah, he's good, but I mean, like like when you say where are they weak? That's probably like, where, where they're the weak. weakest. Like, where where are they relatively weak? Is like maybe their second baseman will only hit like twenty home runs. Right. Like. <laughs> oh. Yep, they they have certainly built that. T- As Sandy Alderson said it said it a number of times. That's where we want to get to, where we're adding pieces at the end to a a great ball club. Yeah, and that's that's what they've done this year. They've added pieces. Right, that's where know, they are now, where they can tack on like Rafael Soriano and, and that exactly. sort of thing. Yeah. Exactly. And they have an attitude, guys. We can't. Um, you can't underestimate how much having natitude means. I don't know what that is. Oh, you're going to find out, pal. Davey uh-huh. Johnson's boys are coming for you. Yeah, right? attitude will find you before you find it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I'm probably going to regret it, too, aren't I? That's a clown answer, bro. All right? You'll know what an attitude is when Bryce Harper tells you what it is. Okay? And maybe if they let Steven Strasburg pitch maybe then, you know, like more than 150 innings, we'll find out what an attitude is. They will. Yeah, I know. They ha- They better. Because last year, I, I, I'm sorry, I ripped them to shreds. <laughs> I, I, I thought, I thought that was stupid. I thought it was awfully arrogant to just assume that you're going back to the playoffs every year. All you got to do is take a look at the mess in 2006. Oh, you got Wright and Reyes and a young nucleus and these young pitchers coming up and uh, John you know, Maine and Oliver Perez. And and, and wait till Lasting's Millage makes the lineup. That's right. And you got, you know, Carlos Beltran and Delgado and you have these established superstars and Fernando Martinez just like a year away. Yeah, you're gonna win for the next five years. It doesn't always work that way. Mike Pelfrey's gonna be an ace. It doesn't always you had Pelfrey though. You did, you had Pelfrey. That's what I mean. He was yep. like he was the back end of the rotation. He's a first round draft pick. Out of all those guys, Mike Pelfrey ended up like being the most consistent pitcher. Kind of did. Okay, so you went to to the United Arab Arab Emirates, is that correct? Yes, I went to the United Arab Emirates. The UAE. The UAE, yeah. And uh, had you traveled there before? I had not. No, the reason I went is my brother is doing a my younger brother is doing a uh, he's a graduate assistant fellowship at NYU Abu Dhabi. Wow. Uh, so he's like kind of like teaching writing and whatever. In uh, in Abu Dhabi, which is interesting, uh, it's an interesting place. So, uh, wow! How so? You were there for two. Weeks. How was it? I mean, was it just overwhelming, or were you able to? I mean, you're a writer too, so I'm I'm assuming that you know maybe you're writing about it or or something like that. But was it completely an overwhelming experience? Too much to take in? It was very different. Um, it's like the Beverly Hillbillies, the country, basically. Uh, <laughs> Like no, it really because like like I think like fifty years ago, like Dubai and Abu Dhabi were both like small pearling communities. Like like hold your nose, dive down for some pearls, and then come back up, and then and then all of a sudden, both that whole area found oil and became super rich and just started building things. And like they have all these tall buildings and skyscrapers and stuff like that, and like nobody lives in them. 
They're just like empty buildings that they built for the sake wow. of building buildings. And they feel like if you build it, people will start showing up. Strange. Could you live there for an extended period of time? Uh, I was there for like five days, and that was more than enough for me. <laughs> you were uh, good. <laughs> you were all set. Yeah, I'm all set. Never have to go back. I saw it. I saw the tallest building in the world. Um, I'm done. Don't have You're... to see it again. <laughs> how was the? Uh, we'd be remiss, of course, on this program if we didn't ask you how the food was. Um, all right. So the weird thing is that that because it, it it doesn't really have like if you want like Arabic food, there's like nowhere to go to get Arabic food, or at least my brother does not know where to go to get like <laughs> authentic <laughs> Arabic food. So. Uh, I had chilies while I was there. There, you can have like all the chain restaurants from America, are there. Um, I saw a Texas Roadhouse. I saw a Chili's. Um, Got to make you feel comfortable. I, I don't know. Actually, don't know if I saw a lot of fast food restaurants. I don't think those. No, you know what? No, I did. I saw KFC, uh, oh. Pizza Hut. Nice. And, like it's all there. If you want whatever kind of big chain American food, it's there. You can find. Do they it. do they have Applebee's? I don't know if I saw an Applebee's, but I bet they have an Applebee's. <laughs> of course they do. Yeah. It's right across the street from the Chili's. I mean, right. it's, it's got to be. You know, TGI, Fri- TGI Fridays. Ruby Tuesday. Ruby Tuesdays. <laughs> Why are all the days of the week covered in those? Right, but it's even it's even like, like, you know, if I'm traveling somewhere, it's like I'm of the opinion that, like, if you're in a foreign country and you eat McDonald's, like, you should be deported immediately. It's like... <laughs> Somebody else should be allowed to take your vacation for you. <laughs> We're going to need like, to... There was, there was like no other options there to eat except for like places that, that exist in America. Right. Now you had to do what you had to do. I mean, I, I wouldn't even... Did you find it to be melting potish um, as far as nationalities? Well, it's supposed to have that reputation of sort of being like a... I mean, yeah, they're a decent amount. Everyone speaks English um, so, uh, because... It's just like a mishmash of people from all over and stuff like that. And then there's a decent number of, uh, like, you know, you found, like, British people and, and Americans and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's a lot of guys. It's, like, almost all guys there. <laughs> it's also weird. So the so the UA is just a big sausage party? It, honestly, yeah. That's, that's pretty much what it seems like. And I asked my brother about that. He said that's, that's one of the biggest complaints of, like, you know, some of the younger grad students and stuff like that is that, it's all guys. There, there are very few women. So you're not going to do spring break UAE? I would not advise spring <laughs> break UAE. No, it's on the water too, but it's like swimming is kind of discouraged. So I don't know. I would, I would imagine it would be. My last one, uh, anything with sports there? Like when you went into the Chili's, did they have like sports on the TV? Soccer or something? Yeah. The the sports that I could, the, the two sports things I could always find on TV, they always had like this NBA show. I guess there's like a channel that just has like an NBA show, which basically looks like highlights from NBA.com that like they just take in and like some guy talks over them. Why do I love that? Why is that just so funny to me? And there are also camel races on TV. Shut up. No, like camel races. And also, I guess like like, you saw the camel races like 30 years ago, they had like children jockeys, uh, which they don't do anymore for reasons that should be obvious. And (laughs) so now instead they have robot jockeys. Like they have like little... They Wait, what? little robot things. Wait, they're not the people? And I think they're like remote controls so you get them to like, you know, spur the camel on. Wait, hold on. <laughs> hold, hold hold the podcast. You're, t- you're telling me that, PJ, get in here. You're telling me, Flood's telling us that they're doing camel racing in the UAE with robot jockeys. 
Instead of kids. Instead of children. Yeah, they've got they've replaced the children jockeys with robots. For reasons that should be obvious. Wait, I I just I, I'm I'm trying to no I'm trying to get my head around this whole concept. Is it like like horse racing here, where yeah, you exactly, bet on the camel? Exactly like horse racing, except it's camels, and um, oh, and also like so there's like the racetrack. It's like a round racetrack or whatever. On the outside of the racetrack, it looks like all of the people that I, I mean, it, like television it was not in English, so I don't know exactly what was going on, but it looks like people controlling the robots maybe like follow the camels in SUVs. <laughs> what? Oh, this is oh, this is magnificent. The camels are running because they're basically being chased by trucks. <laughs> by trucks, and they have basically, robots like, on like their the back. The trucks and the camels. There's like something separating them. There is like a barrier to like sort of keep the camels on the racetrack or there whatever. There is no but, way that but this is basically dystopian it seems at all. So like this, <laughs> like some guy driving an SUV, the guy next to him maybe has some kind of remote control that controls the robot jockeys, and then the robots control the camels. Are you sure it was Mad Max anywhere? <laughs> nope, it looked like that because it, it like it, the racetracks are out in the middle of the desert, like you know, yeah, in the Pete, middle of nowhere. Kind of. Yeah, you so called in it. In a world completely populated by men, with tall, empty, beautiful buildings. You can gamble on camel races where the camels are ridden by robots and chased by trucks. At a chili. Is there booze there? Because <laughs> it sounds like I want to go. Let me get this straight. Let me see if I understand this. But what you just did, Peach, is a wonderful trailer in a yeah. world. <laughs> where where cam- are the camels? If this was a movie, fast? no one would believe it. Are the camels fast? Give me. Do, do you get a? Did you get a sense of what it would be, comparatively to a an animal that we may have seen race? I have no idea how fast the camels work. <laughs> the only thing I had to compare them to were other camels. <laughs> <laughs> Are some of them faster than others? <laughs> well, clearly, well, yeah, I mean, got to yeah, win the actually, race. Yeah, like the one that would win would win by like, you know, like two or three camel lengths. So, no. Here's where I a wish you were there alive, but b b wish you could read Arabic, uh, because you could tell us what the names of the camels are. Like, do they have the names? Yeah, they definitely had names, and there was like an announcer who was announcing the race in Arabic, and it sounded exactly like, you know, a horse race in English, where just like he was saying the names, like you know, blah 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 blah, blah, blah. but just I I had no idea what any of them were. Oh my goodness. Oh, this... Oh, man. <laughs> Our next remote is the UAE, Cal. That's right. We're going to go cover, cam- cover camel Camel racing. I, I'm still... I'm somewhat hung up on the children. Jockeys. Excuse, excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> there they were children... Did they unionize? Is that what happened? <laughs> I think it was more of like they were trying to increase tourism, and it became really obvious that, like... You can't have children jockeys because, like, anyone who comes to the country is going to be like, look, what are you doing? Like, why do you still have that? So I think, like, you know, any kind of, like, thing that could look a little bit like child labor or, like, child trafficking. Yeah. Like, they put a stop to right away. It looks like all of the above. <laughs> you think you, you, gotta, you cover a lot of bases there with the kids. Oh, that's – oh, man. We got to uh, – obviously, this is somewhere on YouTube. Obviously, this exists. And we have to go look it's at this. It, it's like one of those things when I was watching it, it didn't seem that weird. Like it seemed different, but not that weird. And then when I like say all the things that I like saw out loud, it starts <laughs> to sound really weird. 
sounded perfectly perfectly reasonable. It looked perfectly reasonable when you were at that Chili's. Right, like you watch it and you're like, oh, I see why they would have, like they must have a way to control the camels. Okay, they have like a little thing that's like sitting on its back that like he's left the jockey. Okay, this makes sense. And I guess they want to watch them so they're following the cards. I can watch the race and stuff. And then like when you actually start to say like robot jockeys controlling camels, it, it is really weird. Did the robots look like jockeys? I almost want to say the robots look more like Rock'em Sock'em robots than like actual jockeys. It just got ten times better. It just because you know they're putting the they're putting advertisements and stuff on the robots. We need Blue Haven to open up a sister bar (laughs) over there so we could do a remote. (laughs) Remote. Oh my goodness! Thank you for wow. I can't wait to go to YouTube when this show is over. I want to keep, uh, Patrick, if it's cool with you, you know what? I'd like to keep you on for the fun load because I think you'd get a kick out of it too. Um, All right. And, uh, you know, we got a couple of minutes left here, and and, um, I did want to do that. But before, can you just hang out for one second because we need to hear from PJ before we get to the actual fun load. We need to hear from PJ why there was a river of crap in his basement. Literally. Not it wasn't like he was playing bad music or like there was a river of crap. Now you're making you're making it sound much worse. You made it sound bad. I'll I'll, gi- I'll give you the the ninety second version. Feel free to interrupt with questions. All right, all right, sir. Um, we had had a, a plumber out a week before this happened. And he cleared out, uh, they call it snaking, he snaked out our main line, mm. which is the sure. line that runs out to the street. And that was fine. Um, we, there was a birthday party here, and some kids had flushed balloons down the drain, down the toilet. And then all of a sudden we had a backup, so we were like, oh, no, balloons. So we called the plumber, and, he, and, and everything was fine. He cleared the balloons, and everything was fine. Got to get those kids camera racing. That's right. We got to find them a new hobby. So I'm walking my daughter to the bus stop, and as I'm walking to the door, I notice out of the corner of my eye, oh, why is the downstairs floor shiny? Well, sure enough, we were having some sort of flood situation. Oh, no. And then we said, oh, no. Um, again. And, again. But it was it was mild. It was, you know, I... It didn't come over the bottoms of my sneakers, but I, you know, I walked through it and I found the source of it, and it was coming out of that same pipe, that same main drain, and I could see a little trickle of water, kind of coming out of it, and, and I cursed my plumber, and I was like, "You dope! You didn't put the the cap on right." So I did what any good homeowner would do. I went and I got a pipe wrench, and I went to go tighten the cap. Uh oh. But as soon, in a cartoonish fashion, as soon yeah. as the pipe wrench touched the pipe, <laughs> it went, boom! <laughs> Big fountain of of nasty came right at my face <laughs> and and started to flood my garage. When you when you went to yeah. run, Peach, did you go in the air and your feet were moving? And right. it was like... And then there you, were Hanna Barbera sounds playing right under right. me. And then yeah. you went. Right. And did the Benny Hill music start? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> it 
why is well, Tina in a I bikini? Did, I did what anybody would do. I, I took a sledgehammer and I hammered that cap back down as hard as, and fast as I could. Because like, wow. what else do you do if there's a fountain of, of water that smells like underpants coming at you? Not that. You hammer, you hammer down the cap. You don't just run and be like, my house is flooding. So I, I might have done the, that. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't have done that? No, I might have just run. I don't know. I don't think I would have had the wherewithal to go grab a sledgehammer. Yeah, you would have done. So I, I hammered the cap down, and um, that didn't do anything good. It just, it just made the flood uh, go over to my my next lowest drain point, which was my toilet. Oh. And it it oh. started it started to rush out of my downstairs toilet. <laughs> So I did what any <laughs> what any good husband would do at this point. I screamed at my wife, "Get the shop back!" And I went and I drove my daughter to school because I figured, well, the shop back will take care of it. So you left. I left like a good man does. He leaves, but then uh, then I turned around and I got my father-in-law's second shop back and brought it back. And when I brought it back, this is what, now I started to see what a problem it was because. She she was shop vacuuming up the water, but the water was not going away. No matter how much we pulled out, there was more coming in. Right. So I got on the horn to the plumber, mm. and I said, "You sob, you screwed this up. Get over here." Wow, you really and cursed him out. You you don't want to know the real language, I. You sob. You son of a so and so. You dirty end of a mop. You get over here. So he said something that you never want to hear a plumber say, okay? He comes he comes in, he's all apologetic. He's like, Well, I'm so sorry, let's let's see what you know, let's see what happened. And we and we run in the house and he runs in and he sees the flood now that has now started to build in my downstairs. And he goes, Holy cow <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, not a good sign. You never want to shock a plumber. No. When the guy you've called in to fix it is like, whoa, never yeah. seen never seen this one before. So he he that's, looks. That's he not what look, I want to hear. He's like, look, he's like, this is I, I this looks like your main sewer, but I'm telling you, if you took your entire main sewer and stood it on end and dumped it into your house, it would never make this mess. This is coming from your town. We're like, oh, oh that's great. gross. <laughs> This isn't just our sewer now. It's our neighbor's sewer. Excellent. Oh, man. Excellent. Oh, man. So there's, there's me and my wife working the shop facts, and he snakes the line again. He's like, dude, I don't know what it is. The snake's going right through it. It's got to be on the street side. So they call out the township. The township comes out. They get out of their trucks. Here's three bros. Yo, bro. Bro. <laughs> bro, what's the problem, bro? Was, it's snowing was, out, all right? It's snowing. Was Kirk These guys are in sunglasses and wool caps. Right. <laughs> Bro, what? It, why? And the plumber, the plumber's like, "Look, this guy's got a major problem. Uh, I, I pulled up the manhole covers. The, the sewer seems to be flowing fine. So I want to know: is there a second sewer that this guy is hooked up to? Like, you know, two different little sewer lines under the ground? They're like, no, bro. You pulled up the you pulled up the cap, and there's nothing there. There's nothing here. And they left. They're like, good job, you, you, everybody. That's good right. Job. I, yeah. I applauded them. So the plumber says, well, we need a camera. Did you know there were sewer cameras? No. This is a thing. This is an art, actually. This guy could have been uh, a surgeon. He comes out. <laughs> I don't know he, about that. He, come, 
comes out. No, very delicate, man. It's very, it's really delicate. He comes out with this little little camera that he that he feeds down into my sewer line, and it's going up and down over cracks and roots and things. And he's like, "Your line looks fine. There, there's nothing wrong here." And then he gets to the street and he goes, "Holy crap!" <laughs> Again. Again, it's you know this is I can't it's on the town well the good news is you don't need a main line so we just save you twelve thousand dollars uh you know but the bad news is you got to get the township out because this isn't going to stop so we get them you know we get them back on the phone they won't come out they're like bro we were just there bro not <laughs> you know we're not coming back the plumber's like you got to come back so just how at much, this moment how just much, at this moment my neighbor yeah. comes home. Right. Was there a question? Go ahead. Okay. My neighbor comes home just at this at this time, and he he enters his house through his garage. So he opens up his garage, and we hear him scream, "Ah!" And he comes. He's like twenty years old, and he comes running across his lawn. Mister Cachopo, Mister Cachopo, what's going on? Wow, you're Mister Cachopo to a twenty-year-old. Isn't that nice? Isn't that cool? I don't know about cool. It's cool. It is, in a way. I, I just got older listening to that. I know. Oh, go so ahead. I put down my walker. <laughs> I broke a hip. Right. And then I went over there. <laughs> and I, off, I, inter- I introduced my him to my plumber. So now my plumber had evidence that it was definitely the township because it was taking out multiple houses. And they called out this gigantic truck called the jet truck, which is like this truck with this gigantic hose on it and they go around and they blast things with this hose. Oh, I get it. So the truck that treats the sewer that works yeah. in the sewers is the Jets truck. I got it. LOL Jets. I knew it. I'm surprised See? it's not called the Sanchez truck. It's a, that was the driver's name. Of course it was. Next you're going to tell me it was Mark Sanchez, the driver. Jerk. Go ahead. So they, so they're going around my neighborhood and they're blowing out all these different like sewer junctions and stuff. And I run into them about, I don't know, two hours later on the street because at this point I'm just wandering the street. <laughs> right. Well, there's crap <laughs> up your basement floor. Yeah. Yeah. And we were, my, my wife and I started timing it. We had, um, uh, between the two of us in the shop. Doesn't she we, work? Well, obviously she didn't get to go to work. We, we 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 were in emergency mode. I see. So between the two shop vacs, we were getting 25 gallons every five minutes. Oof. So we're getting about 300 gallons an hour, and it wouldn't stop. So when I ran ran into the guy in the street, he's like, "Oh yeah, don't worry about it, man. We found it." I'm like, well, what's 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 the problem? He goes, "Oh well, you have a second sewer line. Did you know that?" <laughs> yes. It's like, oh, it's funny that someone else brought that up to me. He goes, yeah, you won't believe it, man. It was a basketball. Like, what? A basketball. <laughs> someone must have lifted up a sewer lid or something, and they threw a basketball down there, and it floated all through the township's pipes until it came to a pipe it couldn't go through, man. So we had to blow it out. So they're blowing on it with the jet, and it's not coming loose, but it's going to come loose in, like, ten minutes, man. So, like... Your problems are over. <laughs> Bro. Yeah, it's, I don't know when your house was land, you know, landed in Manhattan Beach. Because they're all bros. They're all bros that work for the sewer department. In Freehold? In Freehold. Wool caps and sunglasses. They're awesome. 
Wow, bro. They're awesome. so good at what they do, but they don't have a map. Good job, bro. That's awesome, bro. <laughs> so it, um, it, the stuff stopped coming in um, seven and a half hours oh, after it started. I can't wait for you to try to resell this house. I can't wait. I can't wait. And you've done so much stuff to this house. Like the house well, we is just, amazing. We, we rebuilt it after uh, Irene, or Hurricane yeah, right. Irene. All right. That's just yeah. oh boy. a basketball. So how do you feel about about basketball these days? You're a big fan. I watch. Yeah, I still, I still I watch. <laughs> well, that's some story. I love it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I'll tell you about the cleanup another day. Poop, poop in the house. Poop in the house, followed by seven industrial fans the size of truck tires that sounded like jet engines running 24 seven for seven days. That's <laughs> You just had and a bunch it, of fan boats park it, outside it, your garage. Yeah, that's exactly what they were. Big pontoon size. Right. Uh, propellers, basically. Awesome. And in the center of that, a refrigerator sized dehumidifier drying right. out my house. So that right. we didn't get mold and stuff. Sure. Well, uh, uh, good to have you back. I'm glad, <laughs> that's my story. I'm glad the break was good. Um,. Here's the uh, here's the phone load, Patrick um, and PJ and Cal. And so here's what happened, Patrick. You know uh, Matthew Callen, uh, otherwise known as Scratch Bomb. Thank you. Uh, on Twitter, very good writer, fellow Met blogger like yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he posted. He had a tweet today that said, uh, "I saw a fantasy, you know, fantasy camp for Brian Wilson. <laughs> Brian Wilson fantasy camp, and you you go and you." You get to play with Brian Wilson. And he, the and, uh, Beach Boy or the so, Giants Booger? The Beach Boy. <laughs> okay. The Beach Boy. Right. And so I said, that's great. I said, you know, two weeks ago, I saw one for Def Leppard. It was Def Leppard Rock Fantasy Camp. And so, you know, he said, yeah. He's like, but at least all the members of Def Leppard are, I think, mentally all there. And I said, yeah, but, you know, I, I think if I'm choosing a, a fantasy camp, I'm going with the guy behind Pet Sounds as opposed to the band behind Hysteria. Um, but this brought, up, <laughs> this brought up an interesting, uh, what I thought would be a fun or a, a fun load, and that is, so if you were to go to a band camp, you know, a, a fantasy band camp or whatever, what would you choose? Has to be. Uh, alive. I will make that. I will make that. You can't say like, I want to go to John Lennon band camp. Okay, so it's like, but it has to be it's a fantasy band camp. That's right. And it has to be like a living. Has to be a band in existence. They could have broken up, but it has to. The, the guy has to be alive. That's all I'm saying. This okay. is we'll call this the Lennon corollary, because I I don't want you know obviously my answer would be the Beatles. Right. But I can't can't do that. Two members are dead. Can't have it. Okay. All right. So, uh, Patrick, we'll start with you. I can't have it. You can't. I can't have it. I can't. I got the two of them commiserating at the house. I can't have it. Oh man, this is a tough one. I'm not prepared for this at all. Uh, it's good. Take a minute. Take a minute, Peach. You want to jump in? Because I know what you're thinking. There's. See now. Look. This is this reflects poorly on me because there's not a lot of people that I can take advice from. 
Yes, exactly. This is a personality <laughs> disorder that I have, and you know it, and you've seen it. In action. <laughs> you know, I could be doing something so very, very wrong. But if someone's like, hey, why don't you play that chord a different way, I'll just come back with a mother insult and walk out. <laughs> this is why this is a difficult <laughs> challenge for you, because you do actually play an instrument and have been in bands for many, many years. And would probably be like the one guy who alienated <laughs> David Gilmore or something. Right. Well, the great the great response to the Brian Wilson tweet was, um, he, was somebody responded to the tweet, what do they do at that camp? Do they break everybody up into groups and then he breaks up the group? <laughs> and then he breaks the band. <laughs> Ooh, I thought that was a great line. Um, See, so I'd Pete, love to. I, a Brian Wilson camp? I you would, would do that, right? Yes, quickly. It also, I also want you to comment on what you hope to get out of the camp. Like if I was going to go to to the Def Leppard camp, I want to learn to rock on. I want to make sure. <laughs> that I am taught how to properly rock on. Because that band, no matter what, you know, bus accidents, drummer loses the arm, guitarist dies, all they wanted to do was rock on. They brought it. And and just to continue to rock on. Yeah. (laughs) Also, Mutt Lang would have to be involved. At some point, I'd need to learn how to layer 37 vocal tracks. See, yeah. See, Mutt Lang, I would follow Mutt Lang into the forest. Right. Mutt Lang's got to be somewhere in my fantasy band camp. So, uh, Peach, fantasy oh, band I think camp. If, it, if we're talking uh, hard and, rock, I would and, definitely look for an Iron Maiden. Nice. Um, and what do you I, hope is on the itinerary? What's what's on the syllabus? Um, jamming first. <laughs> okay. And the, and then um, hopefully uh, helping me with my inadequacies in soloing because I can't play lead guitar. Okay, now give me the Iron Maiden uh, commercial for their fantasy band camp. <laughs> You'll learn to solo. You'll learn to, to throw your leg up on the monitor while, whilst, whilst playing the most flesh-ripping solo that ever heard to men ever, ever known <laughs> Iron Maiden fantasy do you, camp do you like lycra pants <laughs> come to Iron Maiden fan camp how do you feel how do you feel about music played 30 times too fast that's right I don't know why I turned him into author there but <laughs> can you play can you play in a gallop because because you need to play in a gallop. <laughs> We're going to what would what would be your fantasy band camp name at Iron Maiden Fantasy Band Camp? Like they they oh. got to give you a name for the week, right? Yeah. Oh, Phantoms of the Opera, absolutely. <laughs> right. You know it. I mean, their drummer was named Nico McBrain. Like you can't. You their can't first drummer it. just died. No. Their first drummer just died. It was terrible. I could totally see Iron Maiden doing. Iron Maiden Fantasy Band Camp, by the way. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that would be so good. Oh, Patrick, what do you got? Separate building just for beer. Oh. Uh, I, like, Fantasy Band Camp is like a slightly different category than like, like you know, what's your favorite band? Because so, it's like got to be like like so over the top that it'd be fun. I exactly. Think I, have to go with, I think I just have to go with ACDC. Like Fantasy <laughs> <Band> <laughs> <Camp>. <laughs> oh, wow. Fantastic. Like, if, you, if you're going to do fantasy band camp, like that's like 
Like, that's, like, got to be, like, my rock and roll fantasy then, where it's just, like, totally absurd and, like, over-the-top rock and roll. That is... You get to wear, like, the school... Everyone gets to wear, like, a school way out while you're in camp shoes. You get, like, that extra... I was going to say, yeah. Then it wouldn't be weird that everyone's wearing shorts. Yeah, you're right. You're only getting, like, that whole thing. And I I think that works. Well, that's the, the great... The great comparison here, just to bring it back to the sports angle, is that, you know, as you guys know, there's fantasy you know, baseball camps and stuff like that. Like you go down to, you know, the Mets fantasy baseball camp and you get to play with the Mets for a week and get treated like a major leaguer and you get a uniform and stuff at ACDC fantasy band camp. Everybody gets the schoolboy outfit without a doubt. Yeah. Like that's the first, the other thing you learn how to do is learn how to sing. Like you've just gargled a broken bottle. Right. Like you just, you just, you learn how to do this. You know, like you, you have to sound like you broke a whiskey bottle, put it in a glass, and then ate the glass with the whiskey bottle shards in it, and then sang. Well, that's like their crafts class. The first thing you learn how to do is, is how to gargle glass. <laughs> that's right. Oh, man, I would totally go to ACDC fa- Fantasy Band Camp. You'd spend like a day just learning the, the walk, you know, the Angus Young walk across the stage, you know, with the you guitar. Like... Johnson's hat. <laughs> You get a hat like this, <laughs> and another hat. Uh, Cal, where are you going? Fancy banquet. <laughs> Why you get two hats? It's a good deal. Cal's going maroon five. It's very disappointing. <laughs> I was going to go Spin Doctors band camp, but <laughs> but I that was closed out, so I couldn't get into that one. There was, though, there was an opening at Red Hot Chili Peppers band camp. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. Which is, which is the absolute opposite of ACDC band camp, because when you show up, they don't give you something to wear. They take your shirt from you. <laughs> You have to take your clothes off one one lesson at a time. Do you learn to write unbelievably annoying songs? Yes. That, that's the other thing. Okay. Right. <laughs> you, you, they give you a, a terrible, terrible smack habit, too, by the way. Like, you just, you get a heroin addiction the minute you walk in the door. And it's weird because you think you'd leave there learning how to play the bass, but you don't. <laughs> You still don't know how to play the bass. <laughs> Nobody does. Please, no help. Yeah. No. Red Hot Chili Peppers Band Camp. That'd be fun. Uh, yeah. You <laughs> you learn to write songs about living under a bridge and doing heroin. <laughs> and then doing heroin under the bridge. A lot. And, uh, and, and you must, must, you know, for the... For the final class, you have to obviously write a song about California. You have to write seven songs about California in one hour. Ironically, the camp is not in California. <laughs> that is ironic. That so is we're, ironic. So we're in Colorado. That's right. <laughs> They're in Chicago. You know, uh, Rolling Stones just did, uh, um, Rolling Stone magazine just did one of their top hundred lists again. Oh, boy. Uh, they did 100 Greatest Debut Albums of All oh. Time. Wow. Let me, wow. Let me just give you the top five. I'll hold give on, you hold top on, hold five. on, hold on, hold on. We're going to oh. lose the live feed. So let's just oh. lose the live feed, do another couple minutes. Patrick, can you hang out for like another minute? <laughs> yeah, sure. Get rid and, of these uh, live losers. 
We're gonna we're gonna lose the live feed. So thank you to everybody for listening. Go to www.bluehavennyc.com uh, for our sponsor bar, and also we will be live April 25th at Blue Haven again for the first round of the NFL draft. Uh, thank you. Check out Patrick's writing at amazingavenue.com. That's part of the uh, SB Nation of uh, blogs. Um, and so check all that stuff out. Okay, back to the list. PJ, uh, go ahead. Wait, by the way, uh, Patrick's been with us for so long, he's now on his fifth episode. PJ, what list did they do? Oh, greatest debut albums of all time. Greatest debut, yeah, debut albums of all time. Um it's fair, but, you know, once you get into the top 20, people start to get very touchy mm-hmm. and whatever. Um, let, let me read you the top 10. All right. And you can you can decide from there. 100 greatest debut albums of, I guess what they're saying here is the rock era. So, is, like... Which is them for all time, you know, please. But, but that's like, what, 60 to... or. Yeah, nineteen sixty is a good starting year. Sixty to now. Yeah. Okay. So number ten is Patty Smith Horses. Wow. See, right off the bat. Right? An album no one owns but everyone talks <laughs> about. Except every one of my ex girlfriends. Yeah. Other you, know, you don't mean Patty Smythe from Scandal, right? <laughs> you know, none of her stuff made it, Cal. <laughs> ah. <laughs> it's disappointing. She's shooting at the walls of heartache. It's the pronunciation. That's the problem. I always get them confused. Yeah. It, yes, it's off-putting, Patty. <laughs> right off the bat, they're trying to they're trying to prove something. Right. That's working. Do you own that album, Patrick? I do not. <laughs> Most <laughs> guys don't. Again, every ex-girlfriend that I have, yes. Mm-hmm. Wife, no. So you can, so you can tell I married correctly. Good. Right. Uh, no, number nine is uh, music from Pink, Big Pink, the band. Wait, what now? Rolling Stone. You know the band? Uh, the band? They're the called the band. band. Became right. their own band. Got it. Sure. Levon Helm. Yes. Right. Robert <laughs> Love. Yes. Yeah. So much. Got it. Move on. Move on from the band. <laughs> Rolling Stone has always had a big love affair with the band. They have had a massive uh, rock on for the for the band. Yes. Clever. Number eight, The Strokes. Is this? Oh it? come on! <laughs> is this, I'm not making this up. Is this what I'm we're just doing? Reading. Don't attack me. Wow. Go on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Number <laughs> seven. By the way, the, the, the write-up of that includes a line that says something like, New York's mod ragamuffins were overnight sensations, jumping oh, no. from Avenue A to press hysteria. <laughs> wow. Okay. Right. I bet you that copywriter living in Williamsburg... Uh, you, you think? Yeah. He's really proud of that tagline. How oversized he, is your sweater? Right, as he, as he sips on an uh, old-fashioned... <laughs> <laughs> somewhere on somewhere on Graham Avenue in Manhattan. Well he you know, just rode there on his Schwinn. Good. Number seven is never mind the bollocks by the pistols. That's fine. It's fine. That's fair. All right. Okay. That's a top ten entry for you? I mean it's a great album, but top ten now. <sighs> it's Cal top ten entry for you? Yes. Yeah. Patrick? 
No. Uh, I'm fenced. I'm going to say yeah. No, you have to go with no, because I think you can kind of, like, make a case for The Clash's first album or the Ramones' first album being better, and you can kind of, like, just take that, like, group of, like, like the three bands that people sort of associate together. And if you can even make the case that the other two are better, I don't see how it's, like, a default top ten. Wow. That's a good point. That's a good good call. You know what? We're going to have have you back as a guest host again. This is why he's Baldwin. Such a Rolling Stone cop-out top ten. It makes me so sick. (laughs) It really is. Number six is N.W.A. Straight Outta Compton. Oh, God. Because they ever even reviewed that album when (laughs) it came out. (laughs) Exactly. Because they ever put those guys on their cover. Hmm? Would that be considered a rock album? Well, it is now because there's there's cross-pollination and, and, and those lines are not, you know, there's yeah, no like, I mean, rap, I... rap versus rock wars going on anymore like there were in the 80s. There are for Cal. Those wars never ended, pal. Okay. Some wounds, well, was... some wounds went pretty deep, all right? And when you're straight, five... out of, straight out of Comac, okay. <laughs> Oh, we're changing the name of the show. Straight out of Comac with Cal and Sam Pizzy. <laughs> Old Dirty PJ. Old Dirty PJ. Uh, what do you got? Five. five. Number five, Velvet Underground. Uh, see, that's another one. You know the big banana cover? The Andy uh, well, everybody knows the big banana cover better than they know the album. I, I like that album. I know I you like that album. But that is, I would never, it would never even cross my mind as a top ten greatest debut album. Number five. Patrick, what do you uh, think? That's a little. It sounds a little bit high. I don't know. It almost sounds like this list is like important debut albums rather than like the best ones. That's an excellent call. I was I, I was uh, well, thinking they something is greatest. They yeah. use greatest. And that's not right. I th- I If you're talking about most influential or... Um, yeah, impact, you know. Uh, like I, albums that mark some kind of, like, cultural shift. Yeah. That's why Nevermind is probably number four. And I think it's number four. Number four is Guns N' Roses. Yeah, Appetite. Appetite. Yep. Destruction. Yep. We've now, talked about that album, though. We we could do an entire RTU on that album. Because because of, to me, what it signaled... The the bridge between hair metal and the hair bands and grunge. Like to me, there's no that and Use Your Illusion one and two, but there's no never mind without appetite. To me, because a band finally started singing about stuff that looked like a hair band, and was singing about you know being addicted to smack. And it was and it was prevalent. They were singing about angsty things. They weren't singing about getting laid and trying to get laid and maybe we can get laid. You know what we should do? Try to get laid. And, you know, nothing but a good time. And you know, it was it was more angsty, I thought. And your old man's gonna hate me. That's, that's <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. So we could do. I don't know. How do you feel about appetite for destruction, there, Patrick? Um, I would want to know why that isn't number one. I'll be curious to see the rest of the list. I really like Appetite for Destruction. Though. Yeah, that's that's you, you're, you'd be hard pressed to do much better than that. 
Let me, let me just read you the very short quote from Axel Rose that they put in this article oh, that boy. sort of backs up what Steve said. A lot of rock bands are too effing wimpy to have any sentiment or any emotion unless they're in pain. There you go. There you go. Yep. Axel and I always simpatico. Always. Except for a lot of things. But, but Except for most things. Except for... Almost everything. <laughs> Number Probably three is, that. are you experienced, Jimi Hendrix? Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> I was about to say, oh, come on, and then I was like, oh, wait. Yeah, no, that's fine. That's your scoop of vanilla scoop of chocolate entry. Yes. There's no rum raisin in this list. No. Number two is the Ramones. Ooh. So I almost uh, feel like the Sex Pistols are okay where they were if the Ramones are number two. Right, that does help the Sex Pistols case a little. A little bit. Yeah. That the Ramones get to to place higher. Yeah. That the Ramones get to place higher, and that, again, greatest slash influential slash. Can I ask you what's the difference between a Ramones debut album and the Ramones (laughs) departing album and the live album and the one in the middle and the movie soundtrack? Because it was the first. That's, that's the new one. <laughs> that's that's all it was. It was the first that's time you the heard new it. Ones. it was, that's the, it. Was the copyright stamp on the back? I oh. think Patrick probably is busting to answer that. Patrick, what's the difference? I don't. Is there is this like a trick question or is it like kind of like? <laughs> <a serious difference? laughs> I think PJ's. I think PJ's. Uh, as you'll come to find out when you host for time number five and six, uh, when it comes to music, extraordinarily sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting point of trivia, the Ramones' first album was under 29 minutes. <laughs> Does that even count? I think that's an EP, but yeah, that's whatever. It. And number one is Nevermind. And number one, this is such a Rolling Stone move. Oh, come on. Number one is License to Ill <sighs> by the Beastie Boys. So you wait, so wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on. <laughs> It's, it's the record that changed everything. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm. It's just, it's starting to occur to me that Nevermind is not even in the top ten. No, sir. Nevermind by Nirvana. Spinal Taps recording of Sex Farm. Well, th- what counts as Nirvana's first? Is does Bleach count or is it? No, Nevermind would count. Is Nevermind that how would count? Uh, is that how they're treating it though? Are they treating Bleach as their first album? I'm trying to find it. I don't even see um, Nirvana on the list yet. Then, was then rip 11. that magazine up. <laughs> Come Flash on. Flash was 12. Pretenders was 13. Jay-Z was 14. Right. I'm not even going to ask where 10 was. Ask where the Beatles are. <laughs> Remember the Beatles who showed up with five songs in the top five? <laughs> right, five number where one did that, songs. Where did that debut album land? <laughs> But that's tough to delineate too because they had a that British was popular. No, they had, they had the British. They had the British release and then they had the American release. Those are two different albums. Mm-hmm. Right? There's there's Beatles Beatles for sale. Is there for no? What's their first album? Uh, please please me. Is what please they please me. Here. Right, but that's not the first album in America. First album in okay. America was maybe. Maybe that's why. I don't know. Maybe Please Please Me should be in the top ten. 
Maybe. I mean, if I was making a list, wow. no one asked me. No one ever asks you. we got to wrap this show up, boys. We've been on for uh, seven and a half hours. It's not a telethon. I keep telling you guys that. We are not raising money for any we, charity. We could raise money for me. I need drywall. <laughs> all I've been doing for the last two weeks. Nice. Uh, my fantasy band camp, by the way. I'm. I think I'm going Van Halen, David Lee Roth. Though. I think I'm going original Van Halen. I think that'd be a good time. Uh-huh. Yeah, that would be a very good time. I think the problem. I want you to know that. that I want you to know that Portishead placed higher than the Doors and the Police <laughs> and Bruce Springsteen. I like the way you dropped that in there. Just want everybody to know. That uh thanks everybody. Good night. Great job, Rolling Stone. Good job. We'll never get those twenty minutes back of our life. Good job. License to ill. That really is very rolling stone rolling stony. It is so rolling stony. It's like, oh look, we covered all the bases with this one. It's like rap, but it's like white, but it's like rock, but it's like eighties, but it's like retro. Hey, maybe it is the best debut album of all time. <laughs> sure, I will bury one. you in soft peat. Cut it out. <laughs> Patrick, uh, before we let you go, you have anything to plug? Anything you're working on? Nope, I have absolutely nothing to plug right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you still writing for Amazing Avenue, though? You are. I am, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you can expect something from me. Maybe, I've, you know, once a week or every other week, something like that. I've so. I've liked the first uh, couple things. So it's good to see your uh, your much needed Met voice back, man. Yeah, no, it's good. I'm glad to be contributing uh, to the Mets blogosphere once again after a couple months break. And it, will there be a mostly Mets podcast reunion? I have no idea. I assume so. Yeah, I don't think it's done yet. I, I'm sure at the very least we'll have one more. So. Are you getting the band back together? That's what everybody wants. Yeah, to we'll know. see. I, I I would hope so. That Berg guy, he's gonna be tough. It's gonna be tough to track. He's, he's like, like he's writing for like the newspaper now. Yeah, he's been in yeah. the. Uh, Actually, USA Today. Yeah, he went legit. He, he's yeah. uh, he's uh, he's a little like Peter Gabriel now. That's gonna be tough to get the band back together there. Yeah. You get you get his stuff complimentary in a hotel now. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't get bigger than that. Exactly. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for hanging out with us, man, and and uh, we'll talk to you on. soon. Yep. All right. Be good. Thanks. I want to go to a podcast fantasy camp with those guys. <laughs> They were there. They're fun times. That was a good. That was a good. Uh, a good podcast. Okay, let's wrap it up. DJ, final unload. The album of the week is called. Uh, the band is called A Fine Frenzy, and the title of the album is One Cell in the Sea. Good stuff. It's Chick Rock. Check it out. Nice Chick Rock and uh, Mrs. Saucy Pants or whatever you call it. That's great. Always fun. Yeah, just a, just a female demo that we won back. With by the way, that that episode has seventeen hundred downloads, over seventeen hundred. Not anymore. <laughs> we're we're going to lose. We're going to lose listeners that have already listened to it. They gave it back retroactively. <laughs> they undownloaded it. Cal, final download. Can you rescind the download? <laughs> just delete it. Um, it's been said. I, I've read this a lot tonight in the wake of the Johan Santana news, but it was one of the first things I thought of when I heard it, and I'm late to the party, but I'm saying it anyway. He doesn't owe us anything. He gave us a no-hitter. He gave us that Saturday afternoon in 2008. 
in my mind, he was worth his contract just for those two games. And I wish all the best for him. I hope he heals up and comes back and he pitches again. But in the meantime, thank you for everything, Johan Santana. And uh, my final unload is um, uh, simply uh, opening day, Monday. Baseball, back. You may not have any expectations for your team this year. I know many Met fans do not. But I do. The hope springs eternal. Maybe I'm an optimist. Maybe I'm an idiot. I don't know. But I refuse, refuse to start a baseball season without any hope that my team can maybe surprise me. So... Take a second. It doesn't kill you. Have a little optimism. All right. Talk to you next week. Thanks, everybody. Night, Cal. Number 100 was Lady Gaga.